History and current events program from a cultural perspective. We find this program necessary because Hosea 4 6 states, My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But we as a people will turn this around. Proverbs 4 7 states, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Go thy getting, get an understanding. Again, welcome to the program this evening with your host, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. The number to reach us to join the conversation this evening is 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We're streaming live at several locations. You can go to timeforanawakening.com, which is the homepage, and catch the live stream at that location. You can go to www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash time for an awakening. Again, that's www.blacktalkradionetwork.com forward slash Time for an awakening and catch the live stream there also. We're streaming at a bb2me.com. That's A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I.com forward slash time for an awakening. They stream live from Ghana. Or you can download the TuneIn radio app to any of your devices. TuneIn is a free app. In that TuneIn search engine, just type in time for an awakening. There you'll see the icon. And you can stream the program live even into your car if you had the Bluetooth capabilities or the auxiliary connection. Again, that's time for an awakening radio program with the live stream on the TuneIn app. Drop us an email at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. That's timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Time for an awakening also has a fan page on Facebook. In the Facebook search engine, just type in time for an awakening radio program. There you always see interesting content being posted daily by myself or Brother Richard. And do me a favor, before you leave that page, just hit that like button. That's Time for an Awakening Radio Program with the fan page on Facebook. And Time for an Awakening Media is also there. Always full of the latest podcasts of the various programs on Time for an Awakening. Interesting articles that you can read, download at later times, and share with your friends. Also check out that Time for an Awakening Marketplace in our partnership with the BB Toomey. Always interesting things in the marketplace all the time. Various African language classes, classes on education, economics, social systems, health, and much, much more being taught by professors on both the continent and in the diaspora. So, again, make that one of your favorites. Put that in your address bar. That's timeforanawakening.com. Timeforanawakening.com will take you straight to Time for an Awakening Media. It's 7.07 here in the city of Philadelphia on this Sunday edition of Time for an Awakening. Our scheduled guest this evening. And uh, the window is still open for him because I knew there was uh, there was some severe weather issues going on out there. Uh, the professor's roof had blown off and other things had happened. Uh, he's scheduled to be with us tonight, author, professor of politics and African-American studies at the University of San Francisco, Dr. James Lance Taylor. Uh, Dr. Taylor is a member also of the San Francisco 
African-American Advisory Committee, uh, Reparations Advisory Committee, I'm sorry, um, in uh, California. And I was going to share with us some information that's going on out there. Hopefully he'll be joining us this evening. If not, uh, we'll always transition into open forum. Anything that's on your mind, you can give us a call. We'll talk about it. And you can reach the program by dialing 215-490-9832. That's 215-490-9832. We'll be right back to get the program started after a brief word from our sponsors. Mr. Moderator, our distinguished guests, brothers and sisters, our friends and and our enemies. Everybody is here. You are listening to Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts or live programming, hit them up at timeforanawakening.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Overworked, suffering with an underperforming company, headache customer, staff, or vendors, or are you a startup who wants to get it right the first time and avoid the costly mistakes? We turned a $24,000 a year odd job handyman service into a seven-figure high-end custom home builder and commercial contractor licensed and operating in three states. This is just one transformation created for entrepreneurs like you in various industries around the country. Not what you're used to from accounting and business consulting? Well, welcome to New Business Solutions. If you're ready to go beyond advising, coaching, and training and get implemented results, call 301-244-9072. Let New Business Solutions apply the best comprehensive administrative accounting, operations, human resources, management, sales, and marketing to help you actualize your vision for yourself and your company. From anywhere nationally, call 301-244-9072. Spelled new as in numerous on your device right now. Book your free consultation at newbusinesssolutions.com. History 
is a clock that people use to tell their political and cultural time of day. It is also a compass that people use to find themselves on the map of human geography. History tells of people where they have been and what they have been, where they are and what they are. Most important, history tells a people where they still must go, what they still must be. The relationship of history to the people is the same as the relationship of a mother to her child. From antiquity to the present, our people need to develop a new paradigm. It's time for an awakening with your host, Brother Elliot. Sundays, 7 p.m., Fridays at 8 p.m. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit us up at Time for an Awakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 7-12 here in this Sunday edition. Time for an Awakening. Before we get started with our program this evening, I want to welcome in my co-host, Philadelphia activist and tour guide at the African American Museum here in Philadelphia at 7th and Arch Street. Brother Richard is with us. Brother Richard. Yes, sir, Brother Ellen. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm doing fine. I'm, you know, just um, cruising. I'm definitely um, waiting for um, um, Professor Dr. Taylor to, you know, show up. Not only because I like to hear what's going on in relationship to the San Francisco Commission and, you know, the the information and the dynamics around how that relates to reparations, at least to San Francisco, and then the broader question. But also, you know, you know, he 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 uh, made sure the last time he was on that his, uh, you know, he wanted to make sure that we look at his paper, right? So I've been, um, I had the opportunity to be able to go through uh, a good portion of it, which is which is very good, and that, um, which is in the annual review of political science, the politics of the black power movement. And I, uh, and I thought it was, was interesting to look over what he's saying in the science, you know, the whole thing of political science, and raising the question, which I would wanted to engage, how does this reparation movement um, fall in as, you know, from a, from in the whole study of political science in this moment, in this era, at this time? So, uh, but I understand, um, you know, the weather has been funny. It was 80 degrees a couple of days ago. Then the other day, this, this thing made me put on my long johns. Uh, it's like, you never know what's going on around here. I don't know. I can't tell tell what what what's happening with the weather. And we're 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 supposed to be in spring. Is that that's where we are? I, I don't know, Ali. Yeah, well, spring has just started, Richard. But uh, I mean, we didn't have an, an inordinate amount of tornadoes <clears throat> all over this country, hitting. <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. Hitting in areas where they don't usually hit. Uh, last week, we had about four in this area alone. Uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware area, this tri-state area. And you don't have no tornadoes. Uh, This is not even tornado season, to Mm -hmm. be be honest. I think that usually comes like late summer, early fall, you know, when it kind of really ramps up. So Mm -hmm. this is uh, uh, the sign of the times, Richard. Our people got to really take notice on what's going on. We can't be deceived like some of these other folks. I mean, it's really time for us to know know what we're dealing with and what we must be doing during these times. Um, you know, uh, usually Dr. Taylor would be here by now. 
So we're mm-hmm. going to just, I'm going to leave it open just in case he uh, uh, drops in. He's scheduled to be with us tonight. Um, it's no problem if he can't make it today. He, he'll be here next week. So, it, I mean, it's no issue getting him on to kind of uh, let us know what has been going on out there, the uh, uh, the process of them dealing with this particular issue uh, of reparations in California, San Francisco in particular, because they, they do have different commissions in the different cities. You know, it, it, and, I, and I wanted to get talk with him too, Richard, about the process of the organizing. Mm. Because that has to be done in other areas around this country. You know, some of us in other areas are sitting watching and seeing what those brothers or sisters are doing there. But we really need to be getting busy where we are because they've organized in the different cities. When I talked to him in private conversations, he said they started one in Los Angeles. It's one in Sacramento. It's one's all over. You know, it, it just so happens that the one in San Francisco has kind of been making news because uh, uh, a lot of people um, that are that have been in the media, so to speak, are in that San Francisco commission. But uh, mm. they've organized throughout the state. And what I love, Richard, is that they're having town hall meetings going on in different areas all throughout California in black communities, taking the pulse of the people, uh, seeing what they're talking about, what they would like to see. Uh, and they, they, they've, they've got historians involved in what they're doing. Uh, they got economists involved, black economists. So everything is being weighed. Uh, that's the way we really need to operate as a people. Mm. Um, when you said something about the, uh, uh, Dr. Taylor and, uh, the, um, politics of what, uh, what would, the, how did you frame that Richard? Politics of black power in relationship to reparations. Yeah. Now, um, <laughs> This system that we live under, and we really need politics to help our people maneuver in the situation we're dealing in. And when I say politics, keep in mind, I'm not uh, talking about necessarily this, this Democratic and Republican dog and pony show that we see all the time. The politics I'm talking about is mainly us organizing and getting things done for our people as a collective. So when you're raising that issue of politics, Richard, um, and and also dealing with that, I'm going to throw in some topics here, uh, some uh, uh, current events here that kind of relates to that. But just give me a little insight, or our listening audience insight on what you mean in reference to that, Richard. And you know what? It's interesting, and I appreciate you um, doing that because – um, one thing that's close to my mind now, you know, Elliot, you know, I don't watch, you know, the, as you say, television. So Clubhouse becomes the vehicle where I get, and I have to say, I'm, um, besides the dialogue, I'm, I'm getting a lot of um, news information around different issues as it relates to, um, you know, um, African people specifically in North America, black people particularly. And, and those issues um, as it relates to reparations. And then, you know, global African concerns uh, or, or even in the diaspora in general. And when we talk about politics, I'm thinking of, in, you know, been in um, recent discussion, one organizing effort. And, and, I, and I'm making a distinction, right? Um, 
because some people think of politics in relationship to organizing is just, as you say, just um, the um, the people assembly approach the, uh, to, to be able to identify issues, maybe identify agendas, and even maybe put together a, a, a bill to go into the political process. But that's, that's you know, by be making people politically aware of the issues that affect their lives. But then it's another level of, of, of politics organizing where people are coming together and confronting different um, bureaucracies in their particular interests. And in, in this reparation issue, it's right now I'm hearing there's a the effort in relationship to um, pushing for identification within this. And I believe I got it right. And I'm a little fuzzy, and I'm one day I hope we will be able to expand on it. But there's an action going on to be able to um, get um, get clear identification of those, um, I say, Africans that comes that is identified in the 13th Amendment to be specific about that being when you, we fill out the census form. I see that as a form of politics, right, of organizing, because you have to be engaged. You have to be able to be engaged in lobbying people, um, politically educating people, and then um, making yourself interact with the bureaucracy. In this case, it would be the Office of Budget and Management to be able to make things happen. And bringing up, I don't, you know, so, so so I'm showing, you know, to this point when I say about politics, um, what it is. But each poli- in America, in North America, amongst us, Elliot, the thing that I'm wrestling with, we have two. Uh, historically um, political agendas, political philosophies. Um, usually one identifies with nativism, being a Native American, Afri- being Native American, um, that is anchored in from the beginning of, of um, black folks uh, or individuals fighting in the Revolutionary War. Right. That's, you know, and and some will call that as we come move into the 20th century you, and move into the 21st. century. You said being Native you know, American integration. You said being Native uh, American, being American. Right. Being American. That's you, that's one. You said Native, you said Native American, Native, meaning that they're they see themselves as Americans. Oh, oh, oh OK. I thought you said I thought you meant Native American. Oh, no, no. Uh, you know, they see themselves as American, that, you know, and 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 that and and the and though their America has a political contradiction because America doesn't see hadn't seen uh, themselves, uh, them, us as Americans fighting to be able to include ourselves in the American project. And then it's another uh, of, of of political philosophy. And this goes to the politics, right? That sees that America, uh, America as it's constructed, would never see, would never include us in the in the um, the body politics, the political, the, the American project, without a fight. And therefore, we wanted to, you know, some would call it black nationalism, some would call it pan Africanism. We've seen that we needed to create a alliances and and and, and associations. Um, from the perspective of governance on our own. And I'll I'll end with this, you know, to the point of both has to be organized. And in 1944, um, Gunnar Myrtle did a study 
in America to make my point of how these two black philosophies, political philosophies that go specifically to our politics. Um, he made a, he did an analysis in this 1944 and this one passage of it to, to show what we're either one are fighting up against. And it says, according to Myrtle, the American dilemma of his time referred to the coexistence of the American liberal ideals and the miserable situation of blacks. On the one hand, enshrined in the American creed is the belief that people are created equal and have human rights. On the other hand, blacks as one at that point, one-tenth of the population, I think they say we're at 13, 14% now, uh, one-tenth of the population were treated as, inf- as an inferior race and were denied numerous civil and political rights, right? Myrtle's encyclopedic study covers every aspect of black-white relationship in the United States up to his time. He frankly concluded that the Negro problem is a white man's problem. That is, whites as a collective were responsible for the disadvantaged situation, disadvantaged situation in which blacks were trapped. So when we talk about why the, our internal politics is so paramount, regardless of our political philosophy, why in now reparations become so paramount, redress, repair from the American government, why we have these different approaches, one is the even going the action of saying we need to be more clear of our delineation, all of this ties to the politics of that we have to be engaged in, but you cannot be engaged in that without doing the political education, without doing the political organizing, without touching black folks, regardless what political philosophy you come from. And I don't know if I address your your question, but that's how I see um, when we talk about politics from our center and our history. And I and just that you know, um, Professor Taylor was just dealing with um, looking at um, the from the perspective of black um, nationalism, but we also have to deal with the civil rights era when it was looking at the perspective of you know integration. Two different political approaches over time, two different political decisions, two different ways we have to um, organize ourselves and come to resolve. Because as Murdoch said, it's not the the American dilemma is a problem that whites as a collective was responsible for um, the disadvantaged situation in which blacks were trapped. And we feel trapped and we feel that we need um, reparations or repair from the federal government. Some say, you know, we had a discussion with that. Some say we need it strictly from the federal government. Some are approaching as in California um, from the state government. Some are looking at in their uh, more like in San Francisco in their counties um, or cities, you know, and Philadelphia you know, in specific, but all of us agree that we have to do something to get ourselves out of this trap. And we just have to understand 
It's going to be our internal politics that's do it because in the end, whites as a collective was responsible. I don't know if that addressed your, your question as you as it, but that's what I'm when I'm looking at politics, that's what I'm evaluating us for. And not just for a few at the top, but for all of us being a better situation in America, because all of us was negatively affected by the policy, the politics, the the project of what some would call a white fraternity. Well, Richard, I want to share, you know, this this thing that happened just this week of the two black lawmakers that was thrown out of um, the Tennessee legislature kind of points to what you're talking about to a degree. Uh, You got two young black lawmakers. In fact, it's kind of ironic. About a month ago, we talked about the one brother because he kept wearing a dashiki on the floor of that uh, Tennessee legislature, and they didn't want it. You remember that, Richard? Right. And and now we see what has happened a little over a month later uh, in reference to him. But, you know, when they go into these offices, uh, some of them, and, and I use that, some of them, because some go in with the mentality of a Kamala Harris or a Tim Scott, when they publicly said that America is not a racist country. You remember that, Richard? Right. Some go in with that mindset. Others don't. They understand to a degree that, uh, whatever degree they understand, that we still live in that environment. But they still operate from a, a naivete that these people do really want to be fair with you. And you can't use that as a yardstick. You have to use history as your guide when you're dealing with other people, and especially Europeans. You have to use history as your guide because it tells you everything that you need to know. Now, Richard, let me let me share with you some of this. It was an article on CNN about the two lawmakers that was that was uh, basically kicked out of office, disenfranchised. The people of that area that voted for them became disenfranchised. And I want you to relate it to what you're talking about, because it's and and, and also for the listening audience, uh, I want to share with them um, on the floor of Congress. They had a, um, I guess, fact finding. I don't know how you would term that, Richard, Mm. where they had uh, Langley, who's over AFRICOM. He's over Africa. He was being grilled on what's going on on the continent. And I want the listening audience to hear what he stated and the questions that he answered and the questions that was lodged to him because it really gives us a a vision of what's really going on if we're listening. And I, I'm going to share that a little later on in, in the, tonight's program. But first, Richard, I want to read share this article from CNN that uh, came out a couple of days ago on the 7th. In the head of state's Tennessee House GOP expels two Democrats in retaliation over gun control protests. A sad day for democracy. It says two Democratic members of the Tennessee House of Representatives were expelled while a third member was spared in an ousting by Republican lawmakers that was decried by a trio, by the trio as oppressive, vindictive, 
and racially motivated. Protesters packed the state capitol on Thursday to denounce the expulsion of Representative Justin Jones and Representative Justin Pearson uh, and two advocates for gun reform measures. What happened yesterday was a very sad day for democracy, said Jones. The nation was able to see that we don't have democracy in Tennessee. Uh, Nashville City Council member Russ Bradford told CNN's Allison Camarada that he would be voting to send Jones back to the state house. That is who the people of the House District 52 elected last November. So it's very important that unlike my state legislature, I will listen to the voice of my constituents and do what needs to be done to support democracy in this state, said Bradford. President Joe Biden on Thursday called the expulsions shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent, and criticized Republicans for not taking greater action on gun reform. Uh, Vice President Kamal Harris traveled to Nashville Friday to advocate for stricter gun control measures and highlight the importance of protecting the Americans from gun violence. She also proudly met with Jones, Pearson, and Johnson. The chair of the Democratic Party, uh, Hendrell Remus, called the move a direct political attack on the party. Their expulsion set a dangerous new precedent for political retribution, a statement from the party says. The day that the majority can simply expel a member of the opposing party without legitimate cause threatens the fabric of the democracy in our state. The expulsions have been criticized by Democratic politicians and civil liberties groups who say that voters in Jones and Pearson's district has been disenfranchised. Jones said, I don't think what happened... Hold on one second here. Jones said, I think what happened was a travesty of democracy because they expelled the two youngest black lawmakers, which is no coincidence from the Tennessee state legislature because we are outspoken and because we fight for our district. Jones described the sessions as toxic, a racist work environment, and he said he spoke out because the House Speaker ruled him out of order when he brought up the issue of gun violence. If I don't know this happened to me, I would think that this is 1963 instead of 1923, he added. Richard, now... In reference to what you stated, uh, you notice the responses of the two young black lawmakers mm-hmm. when they were saying that this is a direct, uh, um, it was a political attack. It threatens the fabric of our democracy. Uh, Biden made a statement, and I'll go back to his statement. Well, wait a minute. One other one says, what happened yesterday was a very sad day for democracy. And this is Jones. The nation was able to see that we don't have democracy in Tennessee. Now, Biden made a statement on Thursday called the expulsion shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent. And criticized the Republicans for not taking greater action on gun reform. And now, Richard, hold it. Um, Mm -hmm. Shocking, undemocratic. And without precedent. Now, if I don't understand history, then I listen to Joe Biden and others 
and say that, wow, what is happening here? You know, this is, this. I can't believe this. Because Biden says this is without precedent, shocking and undemocratic. But if you remember, Richard, doing Reconstruction, this happened yeah, exactly. a lot. Exactly. Black lawmakers was beat up on the on this on the so-called uh, hallowed halls of the Congress floor. Uh, men assaulted. Some of them that was running was jailed and killed. Others were beat up in there. You remember that, Richard? You'd study oh, history. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were yeah. assaulted in the, those places. You see that what happened, and we talked about it on the program, or in nineteen uh, uh, eighteen ninety eight. Wilmington, North Carolina, had a democratically elected government that was a coup. The people were killed, run out of political power, and the town was taken over. So how is this shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent? Who is he trying to fool? I think he's trying to fool you, Richard. Because white folks know that this stuff has been going on, and some blacks know it has been going on. And it's it's with very much with precedent if you use history as your guide. The only thing that has changed is the date on the calendar. You heard Jones here, the lawmaker, say at the end of this article, if I didn't know this happened to me, I would think this is 1963 instead of 1923. Now, he wasn't born in 63. And his, to be honest, his parent might not have been, his mother and father might not have been born in 63. So when he's saying, this is happening to me, almost like it's a Twilight Zone type of thing where, boy, I can't believe this is happening. But believe it, because that's what we're dealing with. We're still dealing with the same people. It's the same government. Roger B. Tawney said in his statement, about uh, 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 black folks at the Dred Scott decision in 1857 says that black people have no rights that whites are bound to respect. Did he say that, Richard? That's what he said. Are we still operating under that banner? I ain't talking about all the little little trinkets that people think is going on. And you see people standing in office, standing beside whites and all, and they think these things are fair. That's an illusion. A lot of these people that operate in political office, especially these blacks, they don't do anything independent of their party bosses. And notice I use the term bosses. Whites tell these blacks what to do. They don't have any type of independent thought on how they should move politically. And especially the ones in these higher offices. They listen to the Democratic Party and they do what they say. They don't make any statements without being told. You know, the interesting thing about that, Ali, that court, or at least, you know, came up as you are are bringing up those other points. Notice how these men were removed from the, that they took away, you know, the representation, the legitimate representation of the people in those districts. And and now I'm looking at the uh, Urban Institute, and it says Republicans controlling Tennessee, the state of Tennessee politics. Republicans control both the House of Representatives, 75 Republicans to 23 Democrats, and the Senate, 27 Republicans to six Democrats, with with veto-proof majorities in both houses. Um, 
they took, but where, I think he said, now you correct me if I'm wrong, Kamala goes down and says that spin it as that it's about gun control. Yeah. Not that, oh, wow. that, the, that the people, that this political body and that the people who elected these representatives were disenfranchised. That's the, I, that's I don't the know, point. That's the point, me, Richard. That's, that's the most important yes. part that, of what happened. You know, when we're talking about political science, when we're talking about electoral politics, that this, they can be able to do that, that black folks can be, as you said, the same thing happening at during Reconstruction, and we're in 2023, and this is just one state. What is the what is the political ramification in other states where black representation in the political machinery exists and the potential? Because this is a signal. In my mind, look, if we can do it here, y'all can do it there. Just, well, you know, I mean, they're already doing it. Whether they northern cities, it's I, listen, Richard. This stuff is more pronounced in southern cities because of, of the the overt history of racism in those areas. I mean, racism exists all over this country and was practiced by both northern whites and southern whites. Stuff's going on in Mississippi. It's just that this this stuff in Tennessee has just taken the, the front page, so to speak. But this stuff is going on in Mississippi. It's going on in southern states, period. And just like you said, she went down there and tried to make this about gun control. You still with me? Yeah. 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 It, it make this about gun control. Yeah. He, if you, was it about gun control over a month ago when they told that same young man, don't come in here with the dashiki? Was it about gun control then? He didn't even say anything. He just walked in with clothes on. It's never about gun control. And he was some of those. Are, go ahead. The, he was duly elected by the people within his district. That's the that's the the powerful. He was elected. So what does that say? I, I mean, like this this that's that's all. I'm re, I'm repeating myself. It kind of frustrates me. Owen. Go ahead. No, I'm. I'm I, <laughs> wow. Um, you know, after 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 they got tired of the what they considered experiment of reconstruction when they didn't think that black folks would do what they did in a 20 year period uh they enacted all these disenfranchisement laws in the turn mm-hmm. of the century if you remember richard from 1900 to about 1908 1909 they rewrote the, uh, the uh, constitution of several of those southern states you remember oh yeah oh yeah and totally oh, yeah. disenfranchised black folks so you're getting the same response now. It might not be as it was in 1900 or even during Reconstruction, but the, the goal is still there. The same principles are still there. Yeah, even though the sister told us about um, Florida, um, you know, with these, what is his name, DeSantis or whatever. DeSantis, yeah. Whatever, the uh, CRT, that even though, that because they're really saying, this is the history we're going to allow white people to have 
about that, which means that we're in the minds of white people. We're going to erase. They go call they under the context of critical race theory. They're going to erase historical narrative of black folks that they find offensive to white folks. Yeah, and, 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 and wait a minute, white folks, Richard. I don't care whether you're talking about Democratic, Democrat, Republican, or, or Green Party, or Independent. They're talking about white folks. Right. They want to set the narrative. Listen, and, and, and white Republicans, so to speak, because black folks feel as though that they're like the, the the ultimate boogeyman. White Republicans don't want you talking at all. They want you to shut your mouth. White Democrats basically want to control what you say. They don't mind you talking to a degree, but they're going to give you what you need to say. And they set parameters for you to talk. But it's the same goal. It's the same goal. The goal is control. Mm-hmm. And and remember, um, um, Doctor Sister uh, Clay Charity Clay, when she said, that, you know, when her assessment, when we look at because these are this information is in the SATs and you know these here the 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 information where where they're tested at the at level in order to co- go to college and how most of black folks are not taking or or engaged in that yeah so she said they were they stop. weren't taking ap courses right ap courses so obviously it is targeted for what will actually these white young people who are taking this advanced history um, social studies, politics, that what they will be orientated to and what's going to be extracted is any notion of how black folks is um, looking at or be uh, black folks struggle in America. So you'll have a generation who will be going to these hot and these here uh, positions who will also, because they're not socially around black folks, they're not getting um, any information about black involvement as being Americans or black particular sensibilities about the American experience. And what they become, the new policy makers, the new managers, even, even in a technological world, they become the coders, but they will have absence will once again, in their mind, be invisible. Richard, let me, let, let's look at the dichotomy of this. Last week, we had uh, former vice mayor and all the women rivers on, right, from Mason. Right. She, she talked about the political environment of her town and the uh, the lack, or I don't want to say lack of organizing, well, I, I'll, I'll use that term, the lack of organizing or coalescing around issues that will directly affect the brothers and sisters there in Mason. Right. That passage that I always refer to at the beginning of the program, that our people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. But in the same t- state, this is going on. 
where blacks are being disenfranchised by whites. You take two black lawmakers that have been elected, and they say, okay, you get the hell out of here. You're, you're not an elected official anymore. Go home. And you got others in the town that sit there and let the people just take it over. Mm. If that's not ignorance or, 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 or ignorance of issues and ignorance of what they're dealing with, mixed with fear, it's got to be fear in there, Richard. It's got to be. We got to help run another deal with this. That's why I was so appreciative of the the brother and sister, uh, 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 brother, uh, uh, nephew, and and sister Lisa, for they didn't live in Mason, but they were willing to go there and help the people organize. We got to help our brothers and sisters. We from we come from a collective society, unlike Europeans. Theirs was rugged, rugged individualism. How do they term that thing, Richard? Maybe that's it. That's it. That's vulgar all they would. We call it vulgar individualism. Self-preservation, the first law of nature, all kind of defiled survival of the fittest. That's the society they came from. That's their culture. We didn't come from cultures like that. That's why we got to understand where we're coming from, who we are as a people. We keep mixing our values in with this bullshit we're dealing with. We're going to kill ourselves, literally and figuratively. We're going to kill ourselves. Richard, let me read this here because here we go. It's another Mason here, another Mason, Tennessee. We're under attack, people, all over. But black media, by and large, is not uh, 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 putting these attacks in the forefront of our people's minds so we can talk about it. And put it into the uh, uh, the uh, the marketplace of ideas, so we can get strategies and develop strategies uh, to to deal with this and to enlighten our young people, so they can stop filling their minds full of Instagram and Twitter, Twitter, and all this other crap it, uh, that takes our mind into other areas. And if they ain't dealing with that, they smoking all kind of crap to fog up their minds. When we need clear minds to deal with what we're talking about. Let me read this here. This was from The Guardian two days ago. Majority black town fights to stop land seizure uh, for gravel quarry rail link. A majority black town, I mean, we were just talking about this last week, Richard, but this is a different town and in a different state. A majority black rural community in Georgia is battling to stop a railroad company from seizing private land for a new rail line they say will cause environmental and economic harms. Residents of Sparta, a pure, a poor community of 1,300 people located 100 miles southeast of Atlanta are opposing the construction of a rail spur that would connect a local quarry to the main train line, enabling the gravel company to vastly expand mining that already causes dust, debris, and noise pollution. Residents including the direct descendant of James Blair Smith, the African-American farmer who, against all odds, obtained and farmed the land almost a century ago, have so far resisted efforts by the real company to convince landowners to sell portions of their properties needed for the project. Now fears are mounting that the company, which claims the project will generate dozens of well-paid jobs and boost the economy, could impose 
uh, a 4.5 mile spur of their land, generating environmental hazards and depressing property values. Last month, the Standardsville Rail Company filed a petition with the Georgia Public Service Commission, the first step to seize land by taking advantage of the state's 19th century eminent domain law. Mm. Eminent domain refers to the process by which government or an authorized private entity, notice that, Richard, government or an authorized private entity may appropriate land for public benefit without the owner's consent. Uh, Our community is already like a dumping ground. So we're going to fight this to the end. There is no compromise, says Janet Smith, a retired school teacher and Army veteran who who has organized petitions, letters, yard signs, had prayer rallies, and spearheads the No Railroad in Our Community Coalition. They don't expect us to push back because we're poor and black. But this property is all that we've got to lead to our sons and daughters. It's a disrespect to all of us, says Smith, 64, whose husband is a fourth-generation descendant of the original landowner. Mm. Sparta is a rural town in Hancock County where over 70% of the population is black, and almost one in three people live in poverty. So here we go, Richard. It, I, it, I, was I just reading about Mason, Tennessee? Mm-hmm. This is another town. This stuff is going on all over the country. You got blacks just running around with their chest out that they're doing so much in Georgia and other areas. Stacey Abrams, there's a bunch of them, even though she ain't in office. What about the people here in this town? Why don't you call us to help these people? They're going to the Georgia legislature to get a uh, uh, get some type of uh, uh, what you call it, Richard? Injunction? Uh, yeah, to take these people's lands. And according to this Georgia's 19th century law, and, and as I recall, 19th century, we were being abused in Georgia. According to this 19th century law, it says the government or an authorized private entity may appropriate property for public la- for public uh, 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 for the public benefit. Believe me, it ain't going to benefit the black public. Here we go again. It's it's hard. It's 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 uh, it's not hard. It's just it just shows why to this point where you started in relationship to the need for um, political organizing in the various ways is so important. And we, and I mean, we uh, go ahead, Richard, yeah. go ahead. Finish oh, your go, ahead go ahead. Go ahead. And, and, and on top of organizing, we have to stress to our people what we're up against. Right. And the reason that a lot of these black elected officials don't, they take that. You ever take time to read that oath of office office that they take, Richard? Mm. That they promise to fight enemies of the government, both foreign and domestic. And believe me, it's certain black folks here, and it's a certain mindset among black people here that Europeans consider an enemy of this country. Mm. And quiet as it's kept, 
certain blacks that are in positions of power look at you as an enemy of this country. I mean, do you agree, Richard, or am I wrong? Maybe I'm wrong. That's, I, I, uh, it's so, that, that's where our internal politics and our, and our internal political philosophy has to be crystallized because that one group, I mean, we even, yes, uh, to short, I, it, I get tongue tied. I get, you know, I don't get necessarily frustrated. It becomes how do you, how do we communicate that both positions are, and you know, again, that we organize as a solution for our sustainability within this country and, and, on this planet, because this here, this project ain't something that's just happening here. But let's say, say, just in this country, because you're giving now Tennessee is not no small town, and probably or the state. That you're those small individuals, state. huh? You said Tennessee. No, uh, you mean small no, state? No, no, but what I'm saying is, the people in the district of the young brother that got expelled probably in numerical numbers is larger than the people who are in that town. Okay. Okay. Hmm. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So the political, the, the, the what state you in, what demo, the, the, your demographic stronghold means nothing because what we're seeing is what they're getting ready to pull because they want the land. They can pull eminent domain. So someone saying, I got four, five, six generations that is entitled to this land. That goes back 100 to 150 years. And you have a population in another district, even if they were there just 50, 60 years, they lived in a, a particular community, two generations, both of them. Situation politically are tenuous. And it goes back to whether you see, you know, it goes back to what you said with using um, the reconstruction period. It goes back to Taney, you know, and we come forward to, you know, the the whole thing of the gunner, the American dilemma. This is, this is something that we, as you say, we have to be very conscious of regardless of our political effort and regardless of our organizing. Yeah, Richard, you see that uh, with the uh, brother uh, uh, Otis just put in the chat room, he says 78,000 each. So it's a total of 156,000 people live in each one of those districts that is represented. Right. And in that town, is 50, I, what, in that town is 1,500, you said 1,500, somewhere around there? And Mason don't have, I mean, I think Mason has like 22, if that large. So the so your density population our density population density means nothing when it gets to the political power that the parties and the states have, and let's not just look at it from the perspective of just about it's Republicans because Biden just Biden Kamala Biden said uh, you know it it's without precedent. So obviously he has no, I mean, I know he's an old man. He, he barely keeping up at night. I, I, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I'll leave that alone. Excuse me. But, you know, so he has no historical reference as it relates to black folks. And he's the president. And he's been around. It ain't like he just come to politics. And Kamala, she couldn't come and say, well, 
in spite of that, it ain't about the, the de- democratic disenfranchisement. Oh, it's about gun control. And then we heard the four mayors say, you know, at another time we were communicating, what is their major concern? Public safety. What is the code word for public safety? Um, black folks with guns. <laughs> wow. Richard, before we take a break, um, it's, it's two things that I want to, uh, to share. And, and, and the one, um, if I can find it, uh, go ahead, Richard, go ahead. Um, you know, I'm stuck, you know, I get stuck on things. So I'm stuck on this, um, Gunner Myrtle piece in 44 because I think it, and it stays to this point, you know, because I think when we come back for break, it'll be some, you know, between the callers and, and others, it'll be some other points in relationship to organizing and efforts going on. But before that, um, when we were having, you raised the point in relationship to um, fear, you know, um, in relationship to Southern towns, is it about fear? Is it, you know, is it about, you know, the, what is the possible? What is the reason why we're not more organized, or the reporting is not more organized? And I and I got some feedback that they, you know, you know, Southern people, you know, which rightfully so, they take, you know, they take um, exception that it's fear, even though we we recognize that there's a more intense culture of oppression in the South than in the North. Not saying that. The outcome is not the same, but the the way is manifested. So if it isn't fear, here is another thing that we have to explore. What is it? And in that piece that uh, Sister Cynthia McKinney um, brings up about why is it so many of us are standing on the sidelines? So we need to, if it isn't because of the culture of the South, and, and this Tennessee thing shows blatant, blatantly, and, and it also implicates even to how the black press is characterizing it, um, and and black politicians. We've got more black politicians now than we had a Reconstruction period, right? Yeah. You know, we got more black politicians in, 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 in positions of influence, if not power, than we have during the Reconstruction period. And the silence when things like this happen is more death-defying than in, during the Reconstruction period. It's just interesting to me. But but I think that we need to, if it isn't fear, we need to be able to, you know, excavate what it is so that we can understand and understand because we know who is applying this this influence or power on black folks and how the law is being used. That's what critical race theory, when you say, what's that, intimate domain? Ain't that the law? They, ain't they using the law to impose a racial positioning of power against black people? When have you heard eminent domain being used against white folks, no matter how part, poor they are? Before we break, Richard, I want to share it after the break. I want to share that uh, piece that you shared with me of that congressional hearing with the 
uh, General Langley, Richard, uh, being grilled on what's going on on the continent. Uh, I want the people to hear what he states and the questions that he's being asked. But before I do that, before we break, I want to play this portion of, and I talked about it on the program. In fact, I aired it when when they did it. Um, Amiri Baraka's daughter hosted a forum in Washington, D.C. at the Public Library. Uh, it was a forum uh, talking about, it was, uh, it was a panel of African-Americans and Africans from the continent, you know, with a summit about, you know, their, their perceptions, feelings, and how they felt about what was going on and their perceptions of one another. Because any of these things, whether they're false or true, has to be brought out. We have to understand it. You know what I'm saying, Richard? Okay. Oh, yeah. And to find out what's really going on. We might blame one another, and we might not realize that it's a puppet master behind the curtain. Just like uh, in the Wizard of Oz when they was running around, not knowing that the, when they pulled the curtain back, it was a little man back there pulling levers. Before we break, I want to hear, I want the listening audience to hear, uh, uh, Sister, uh, um, oh boy, and her name, I, I don't want to butcher her name. Uh, uh, Mary Baraka's daughter was the host. And she asked the panelists a couple of questions to kind of start things off. I want you to hear what the two, it was a brother and sister from the continent that, that I have here on this audio that mentions about what they knew about not only their own history, but people here in America. And keep in mind that the people here in America didn't come from Mars. They came from the continent, and we were brought here. So I want you to listen to what they state. And really take it to heart. Consider it. Because after, when we come back from the break, I want to play what was stated in Congress to General Langley and his responses. And again, I want to thank you for pulling my coat to that, Richard. But before we break, I want people to hear uh, a segment uh, from this African, African-American African summit that was hosted uh, in Washington, D.C. by Amiri Baraka's daughter. Also, Obi Bona Jr., a uh, friend of this program, was on the panel also. But I want you to hear uh, uh, two of the folks that was involved. And we're going to start from Jacqueline. And then there will be question and answer, so this is a discussion, right? What is your cultural perspective? Tell us about your experience growing up in your country. Okay. Um, well, first of all, thank you all for being here. Um, it's good to have you all. Can you hear me well? It's getting better. Okay, perfect. All right. Um, so, as... Maria mentioned, I am from Tanzania, um, East Africa. That is where that's located, more specifically right where Lake Victoria is at. That is at the the northwest of Tanzania, so very much neighboring Uganda. And so growing up um, there, um, I left at a very young age. I was born there, um, and I was born into the tribe known as the Haya tribe. 
Mind you, Tanzania has over 200 tribes. Okay? Um, just one of those tribes. <laughs> and so um, I was raised there. Um, my siblings, uh, four of them, um, and my parents are both Haya. And so we also have roots of royalty, right? And we have connections even up to in Ethiopia, and we have ancestry. My great-grandmother was from Rwanda. She was a Tutsi. And so there's a lot of connection, right, um, all over Africa, so to say. And so growing up, um, it was early childhood, because I came to the United States at the age of eight. And so growing up there, just the development stage, right, um, I would be honest with you in saying that I did not have much knowledge of African history nor did I have much knowledge or, yeah, any knowledge, really, of um, African-American history. And I would say part of that is really, as she mentioned, attributed to information. Our African ancestry, and I would just say black heritage, just we learn through oral history. Our ancestors will communicate to us about us and who we are and so forth. And so none of that was in the textbooks. Even if it was, it wasn't valid or there was gaps. And I came to learn that when I came to the United States. And so I didn't have much knowledge. Um, even until leaving and coming here, it was me learning from scratch and even learning about our history. And, you know, thank God to Molinere, Julius, Cambaragini, some of you may be familiar with him, who was the first president of Tanzania. Huge fan of And so he really... Um, the colonization and really the championing Africa, and so that's really what led me to be even more interested in learning more about myself and my people who are here. Thank you. Hello, how are you doing? Yes, um, I'm Michael from Ghana, West Africa. I know uh, most of you have heard about Ghana. Originally called or colonial wise called Gold Coast. But after independence, which was gained by the first president of Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah, we changed the name from Gold Coast to Ghana. And Ghana literally means a warrior king. And I come from the daughter type of Ghana. Growing up in Ghana, you know, I've had my education all throughout, uh, all my education in Ghana. And I was never taught about African Americans or African history. You know, in college, I got to a point where uh, my literates did not even know more about their own history. And so they were not in a position to teach us about our history. With African Americans, the only access of information that I had when I was growing up to know more about them was through hip-hop music. And it was the negative aspect of the mainstream hip-hop music. I remember watching um, um, the series called Soul Food on TV, and that was also another way that I had access to African Americans. To mind you, I had already taken on the information that I had from mainstream hip-hop music. And at a point, I thought every African American was comfortable with the N-word and the B-word. We, my friends and I, at a point in school, started calling ourselves the N-word and the B-word. Mm. And we told 
it was okay. I know you're saying, hmm, bad. The fact is, until this day, I just got back from Ghana. It's high school students who are comfortable calling themselves the N-word and the B-word. Because they think it's okay, they think all African-Americans are comfortable calling themselves the N-word. So the information that I have I had about African Americans was never positive. And it's still there to this day. But how was I able to come out of that? We don't talk about that. Okay. 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 Richard, yeah, you noticed that uh, both of them, the sister and the brother, said that when they grew up, I, I think the young lady came here when she was young. She said eight. Yeah, the brother basically said all his education was there, and his college professor didn't know anything about their history and definitely didn't know anything about history of African Americans. Both of them said that, right? Right. The, the the brother said that he, what he knew about African Americans was what he learned from hip-hop music that was imported to the continent. And he mentioned a, a series, Soul Food. So he said that he wanted, in his mind, he thought that all black people here in America uh, was comfortable with the B word and N word. Negative perceptions of not only themselves on the continent, but brothers and sisters here in this continent that had been brought here hundreds of years prior to. Who's doing this? Is it them? Who's propagating this miseducation, misperception of people on, on the Atlantic on both shores? You heard the sister say that in Tanzania, it's over 200 uh, 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 different racial groups. You heard her say that, right, Richard? Yeah, tribes. She said tribes. That's yeah, she said tribes. But when they, coloni- when they colonized those areas, they forced them all into areas and, and basically named those areas. So you see a lot of stuff going on now, Nigeria and other places where people want to have their own designation. They always had their own designation and it was respected by other people, other men and women on the continent. Am I right or wrong, Rich? Right, right. So a lot of these designations and things that was, that are being done and that are still being done is being propagated by Europeans or their brethren from the European continent. Now, when we come back from break, Richard, I'm going to share with the listening audience uh, that, 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 that piece uh, from Congress that happened last week where he, uh, Langley was being questioned about what's going on on the continent. Play close attention, listening audience, to the questions that he's asked and his responses to it. That lends everything to what we've been talking about in which you heard both the, the sister and the brother say in that piece. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. You can get involved, too, by dialing 215-490-9832. 
That's 215-490-9832. Time for an awakening. We'll be right back. For an awakening media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at time for an awakening at gmail.com. All Insurance Incorporated, an African-American-owned and operated insurance agency in business for over 20 years, located at 231 Southeastern Road in Glenside, PA, with other offices in Germantown and West Philadelphia. Call now for commercial insurance quotes, homeowners insurance quotes, automobile insurance quotes, notary and tax services, representing over 15 major A-rated insurance companies, offering a discount on all notary services when you call in for a free quote. Call this number, 21 21- 215-885-2444. That number is 215-885-2444. 215-885-2444. All Insurance Incorporated. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. Dooley Brothers, specializing in shingle, rubber roofs, gutters, downspouts, and vinyl sidings. Call for your free estimate today, 215-224-3882. That's 215-224-3882. Dooley Brothers Roofing, the roofing experts you can trust. That number again, 215-224-3882. 215-224-3882. Before your roof becomes unruly, call Dooley. RG Electrical Inspections provides electrical inspections for realtors, licensed electricians, and homeowners. Licensed and insured underwriter, serving Philadelphia and surrounding area. Call today, 484-268-9837. Escape the digital plantation. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store are here for you. You are ready to be free of non-African social media. Don't run from danger, run to safety. Abibitumi.com is here for you. You are ready to be free of digital plantations to control your own products. Abibitumi.store is here for you. A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I, Black Power, A-B-I-B-I-T-U-M-I. The only word you need to know to join your global Commits You Black family, to join your interconnected Commits You Black communities, escape the digital plantation now. Abibitumi.com, Abibitumi.tv, Abibitumi.tv.com, Abibitumi.store. We are here for you. Escape the digital plantation.
I am an African. The death of my brother is also my death. Let me put this question to you again, because many foolish black middle classes and many foolish people who are eating well think that they can sit in America and watch this country destroy the African continents and watch this country destroy African Caribbeans and watch this country destroy Africans in Central and South America and think that these same people who destroy Africans abroad will not be the same people who will destroy them in America. There are fools in this, this country who try to claim that they are not Africans, who claim that they do not see color, as if they're not seeing color makes any difference in the world. Simply because you don't see color doesn't mean somebody does not see you as color, and that's the issue. And you think then that you can sit in this country while this same nation and these same people that you sleep with and marry and love and so forth can go out and destroy African people and not think those people do not see you as African. Even though you choose not to see yourself as African, you'd better think again. You're out of your mind and you're headed for death. You must understand that. Hide behind it. I am an American. Ladies and gentlemen, the death and destruction of black people will follow those kind of abstractions. Probably the next five or ten years will indicate whether or not the black man can survive. Our struggle for survival is a very real struggle. And the white man has prepared genocide for black people. Unemployment, the black man is no longer necessary. Unemployment is going to be a, a way of life for black people. We are going to face increasing dangers and problems as the days pass. And we're totally unequipped as black people to deal with them. We're a part of a slave culture. We have no preparation. We have no black institutions capable of dealing with white racist institutions designed to serve only white people. We must deal with the problem that confronts black people by building black institutions, by understanding that only a separatist position is a viable position for black people. Any organization or any leader in America who today advocates integration is a foe and an enemy of black people and their survival in the coming years. this crooked game of power politics here in America, the Negro, namely the race problem, integration, civil rights issue, are all nothing but tools used by the whites who call themselves liberals against another group of whites who call themselves conservatives, either to get into power or to retain power. Among whites here in America, the political teams are no longer divided into Democrats and Republicans. The whites who are now struggling for control of the American political throne are divided into liberal and conservative camps. The white liberals from both parties cross party lines to work together toward the same goal. And white conservatives from both parties do likewise. The white liberal 
differs from the white conservative only in one way. The liberal is more deceitful, more hypocritical than the conservative. Both want power, but the white liberal is the one who has perfected the art of posing as the Negro's friend and benefactor. And by winning the friendship and support of the Negro, the white liberal is able to use the Negro as a pawn or a weapon in this political football game that is constantly raging between the white liberals and the white conservatives. The American Negro is nothing but a political football. listening to Time for an Awakening, Time for an Awakening, with host Brother Elliot and Brother Richard on Time for an Awakening Media, part of the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasting or live program scheduling, hit them up at timeforanawakening at gmail.com. Welcome back to Time for an Awakening. It's 824 here on this Sunday edition of time for an awakening. We were scheduled to have uh, author and professor of political science and African-American studies mm-hmm. at the university of San Francisco, James Lance Taylor, uh, join us today. And, uh, evidently something happened, but we'll get him on possibly next week or the week after I got to touch base with him again. Uh, Dr. Taylor is a member of the San Francisco, uh, African-American reparations advisory committee out there in San Francisco. And, uh, was going to kind of share with us what's going on uh, in San Francisco, in particular in California, uh, uh, in general, dealing with the topic of reparations. And again, uh, we'll reach back out to him and uh, reschedule because uh, I knew he was going through some issues there uh, with storms and his roof blowing off and things of that nature. So uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll deal with that and, and get him back on at uh, uh, another date coming up very soon. Uh, Richard, before, because we've got a couple calls on the line. Before I go to the callers, Richard, I um, want to share with uh, the listening audience the uh, the clip that you shared with me, Richard. I think it's important for the folks to hear it. It was a congressional hearing about AFRICOM, what's going on on the continent, and uh, um, it was held by <laughs> and Richard, uh, work with me on this. You there, right, Richard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was hosted by Matt Matt Geis. Now, keep in mind, this guy Geis is a—he's a Trump wannabe, a, a DeSantis wannabe, anything that you want to name negative. That's what he is. We know what he is. But listen to the subject matter of what they're dealing with, and. You tell me if this is important to black folks here in this country. Keep in mind, Richard, that uh, you remember that um, we read it on the air. The, the United States put out a uh, policy, African, African-American policy that they put out and things that they wanted to achieve. You remember that, Richard? Yep. And they wanted to get develop better relations with Africans from the continent and Africans in the diaspora. You remember that? Yep. <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> Let's listen, brothers and sisters, to uh, General Michael Langley, who is the head of AFRICOM, 
the 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 face of Africom, put it that way, on the continent. The questions that was asked to him and his response to the questions and the overall, look at the overall theme of what they're dealing with, which is very important. I'm going to play it now, and then uh, we can go to some of these calls that's been waiting patiently. Here we go. General Langley, I have constituents that have been scattered across Africa on train and equip missions. So just ballpark in the last decade, how many Africans has the United States military trained and equipped? Congressman, I don't have that uh, figure. I can get that figure for you. Ballpark. Just, you know, how many? Uh, Congressman, it would be a wild wild guess. It seems like something we should know, right? Over the years... um, we have trained a substantial number, especially in uh, the Gulf of Guinea uh, states. Um, uh, but in, including like more than uh, ten thousand, it is more than ten thousand. More than fifty thousand. I, I say we're, we're reaching around fifty thousand okay. at least. And, and, and what percentage of the people we've trained end up participating in insurrections or coups against their own government? Very small number. Congressman, very small number. So what percentage do you think? I'd say probably less than 1%. But it does happen. I, the IMED program is in force, and, uh, and we've pushed a number, uh, a significant number through our schools uh, across the yeah, and, and what data sets do you track to arrive at the conclusion that less than 1% of the roughly 50,000 that we've trained have participated in coups? Because um, it would be like about 500. About one percent of fifty thousand, uh, Congressman. You may have that information. I, I don't at this time, but I know. Well, I know there are some, right? Like in, go ahead and throw up that image. This is Richard. Mm-hmm. Now, hold, hold it, and, and I, I'm gonna be stopping this periodically, and, it, and it's uh, it's about three minutes left. That the 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 guy Geis Geis or whatever told asked him. He said, "I have connections." On the continent. You heard him when he said that. Right. And he asked how many people have the United States trained? And first Langley said, I didn't have, I don't have that information. Then he said, well, you know, I I do have, would you say 10,000? And then all of a sudden he had a figure in his mind then. He said 50,000, Richard. Right. Richard, hold hold it. Let's walk slow with this now. The United States is training 50,000, and believe me, if he said 50, it's more than that. 50,000 Africans on the continent to do what, Richard? To do what? Now, Geis is going to, I'm going to play the rest of this for the listening audience. Geis is going to focus in on people that have went astray, so to speak. I'll use that term for our listening audience to kind of follow along with what he's talking about. But what are they training these Africans to do? Our brothers and sisters on the continent to do. And also keep in mind, Richard, you remember when Kamala Harris was over there and she, and when I played that clip of two weeks ago, when she said, we realized that, the average age on the continent of Africa is 19 years old, right? Right. And she said yeah. by 2050, right. and by 2050, they estimate that one in four people 
on this planet will be on the continent. Right? Right. So, again, it's about the same mission that Europeans always had. It's about control. If I'm wrong, Richard, you guide me in the right direction. And and where these, uh, at least, and he asked, well, where, you know, this section is in that area where those people are outside. I have to bring that up. Are, are dissatisfied with the control of the French. Right? They, they want, they, and they, not they want to, Senegal, I think it's Gambia. Um, they, Guinea, they ousted the French. Mm-hmm. Now, let, I'm going to continue on and then play this out. I, I don't at this time, but I know. Well, I know there are some, right? Like in, go ahead and throw up that image. This is uh, Colonel Mamadei Dumbuya, and this is a photo of, of him. Did we train and equip him? In Guinea? Um, by name, I, I cannot identify that. Well, well, that guy in the middle with the big red hat. Colonel Mamadei Dumbuya, that, that's him with a bunch of U.S. service members outside of our embassy. And just months after this photo was taken in 2021, he led a coup in Guinea and, and threw out the, the leader. Does that concern you? Congressman, core values is what we start off with in IMA pro- programs. Do we, we share core values with Colonel Dumbuya? Core values. I will repeat that. Core values. Know, respect for humanity. Do we do we share those values with Colonel? Absolutely. In our in our curriculum, he let it go. We do. Okay. Well, I, I, that's a very telling answer. In Burkina Faso, did we share core values with the uh, leader that we trained there, who let a coup? It's in our curriculum. We stress core values. Curriculum? Request civilian-led governance. Wait, wait, uh, so, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is leading coups in our curriculum? Absolutely not. So civilian-led, question, civilian-led. My question is, do we share core values with the coup leader in Burkina Faso who we trained? Holistically, we teach whole uh, uh, you know, core values uh, with a respect for civilian governance, apolitical, and that's what sticks across uh, a high, very high percentage in the 90, 90 over not 90 everybody, percentile. Right? But not everybody. And, and when it, I wonder how many people it takes to, to plan a coup. I mean, initially you didn't know how many we trained and equipped. Then you said it was 1%. You had no base, basis for that 1% number because there's no data set you tracked. Mr. Chairman, I seek to, uh, unanimous consent to enter into the record. Another U.S. trained stol- soldier stages a coup in West Africa by the intercept. Without objection, so ordered. And I, I further seek unanimous consent to enter into the record. U.S. forces trained the Guinean colonel behind the recent coup in West African country, and this is regard to Guinea. Without objection, so ordered. So I guess the, the question is, why should U.S. taxpayers be paying to train people who then lead coups in Africa? Congressman, our curriculum harvests core values <laughs> and also uh, to, uh, to be able to embolden uh, these countries for a representative democracy. But, 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 General, that democracy isn't what emerges. The problem is I, I know you, you may have great confidence in what you're teaching, but when two governments have been overthrown, I guess uh, how many governments 
have to be overthrown by people we train before you sort of get the message that our core values might not be sticking with everyone? Is it five countries? Ten? We'll, we'll continue with our persistence in assuring but do you think it's that working? they harbor they, that they harbor democratic norms, you, democratic values. Just a moment ago, you said, you said we shared core values with Colonel Dembuya. You said you said that just moments ago in response to my question, and his core value seems to be leading a coup. So I, I don't think it's stuck. I think we should at least know how many countries we train the coup plotters in. Uh, how many is too many? Because clearly two is not too many. And I think we could use our resources far more effectively than doing. Richard. <laughs> uh, Richard, you, <laughs> you, you know, you know, the problem, the challenge I have with this, Elliot, is that the as, and, and you have spoken to this. The intent of training the soldiers is to maintain the governments that is in place. Yes. And, yeah, and, and wait a minute. You know the governments that's in place. A lot of them are oppressive. They're neo-colonial governments. Right. They're abusing the people. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, that's, 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 you got it. That's, I think it's important to bring that up and this, and the, and this being, ones who are responding to the people in the sense of recognizing that the government is oppressive to the people. Yes. Because, listen, guys ain't no friend to black people, whether they're on the continent or here in the United States. But when he's pointing out, oh, what about Mamadou Dayuda and, and this other uh, brother in Sierra Leone, or, or no, what is it, Burkina Faso, these are men that somehow have slipped through the cracks that he's pointing out. Oh, should our money be going towards these men? They don't share our core values. What happened? Then they had Langley on the carpet. He keeps talking about we stress core values. What kind of core? You, uh, see, th- this is what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters. Men like this is dangerous. And I'm talking about Langley. He's going over there thinking that black people that look like him need some type of core values from Europeans and they need to be taught core values. What's these core values he's talking about, Richard? Maybe you know. I ain't, I ain't touching it. I'm not touching it. But you got control going on on both the continent and in the United States. And then the people that's coming here, by and large, are people that's tied in with those puppet governments, Richard. Right. Just like here in the United States, if you want to get something done or you want to get a nice job in some of these cities, you got to know somebody that's politically tied in. And I'm talking about that's black. Well, it's the same thing in these other places. The people is coming here. See, ye, listen, this is not coming to America, where uh, 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 Eddie Murphy and and uh, our senior hall just jumped up and said in the morning, "Oh, I think I'm going to America." Do you think it works like that, Richard? No. Nope. Do you think that the average poor, struggling uh, man or woman on the continent just gets up in the morning and said, "Oh, I'm going to America. I'm gonna open the business." I don't like black people anyway. I'm going to America. It don't work like that. 
And plus, you see here from people that's been on the continent and here that we don't even know about one another, have no education about what's going on and who's the real puppet master behind all of this foolishness. Well, you just heard who is behind a lot of it if you didn't know before. And guys don't want uh, American or white American taxpayers' money going towards people that's failing uh, to, to to stick with the core values of the United States. Now, this one guy, the boy that he was talking about, this guy, if you read, Richard, he went through, he was in Afghanistan. He was in, uh, 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 I think he was in uh, 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 Desert Stone. He was, he was in several different places, and he'd been on the continent in several different places. If you read some of the, the things, the missions that the United States had him on. So evidently, he must have slipped through the cracks, Richard. Right. <laughs> oh man, let's let's go to uh, callers. Uh, if you got something you want to add or or, or throw into the mix here, just dial two one five four nine zero nine eight three two. That's two one five four nine zero ninety eight thirty two. I don't know, Richard, whether uh, uh, did you recognize any of the callers up there? You know, it's, I'm kind of leaving it up to you. Raina just left, but the um, I think um, Sister Shower six seven six seven eight nine. I think she's on and wanted them to um, talk about the um, action they have going on as far as the with the OMB and, and getting the signature campaign in, as far as um, desig, I think is individual designation um, in, in in the American um, census. This is the number. Six seven six seven eight. Yeah. Call it. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Call. Are you there? Mm-hmm. Let me let me let, let's go to six oh two six oh two. Yes, indeed. Good brothers. Good evening. Hey, sir. How you doing? Yes, you know, just um, that brother there, you know, that they they uh, throw out that um, Justin Pearson, you know, in Memphis, he had stopped a pipeline, you know, from coming through. So, you know, they saw him as a troublemaker anyway. The first time he went, they say, oh, this guy is trouble. So, you know, that's why they hurried up and got rid of him out of, uh, you know, the Tennessee State, you know. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a prominent guy here in, 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 in Memphis, very prominent. You know? So he got selected. So I don't know what's going to happen this week. It's going to be some blowback. What, what, did anyway, the, what are the people saying? Yeah. What are the people saying? That the man on the street. What are they saying? Uh, oh, 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 that's why. That's why we this week we hear what they say because, um, you know, the they, they people were saying they don't like it, but now being that they bumped him out, I don't know what's the next move now. You know, so we're going to have to see what's going on, what the, what's going to be the next move they're going to make here in Tennessee because. You know, uh, in Memphis, you know, we're going to have to see what, what pan out this week. But I know they were in the rumblings last week, you know, but being that they moved now to eject them, you know, let's see what the next step is. 
Now, in reference to the um, <clears throat> to what we see taking place in Africa, I I have a, a different perspective uh, of present. Now, we see that the U.S. dollar is being decoupled, um, and you see the move that BRICS making, you know. And my take is that America is realizing what is taking place. And being that now all these currencies now are backing their um, money with natural resources, that's why the push, though, she's making this push to Africa is, is, a, is a resource grab. Again, no, because she needs the resources now to back her up now. As petrol is no longer, you know, the petrol dollar is dying. It's on its way out. So where are the resources? Africa, if you see the places that you went, is resources there, heavy resources in, in, in gold, Ghana, you know? Um, and also <clears throat> to push that the alphabet agenda. So she was there. She was pushing the alphabet agenda at the same time, signing um, um, resource, you know, packs for resources with the, with the government and setting up military alliances with, I think, six other countries here in, in West Africa. So, they, you know, she, she's positioning herself to, to, to for a grab, for, you know. So it's the same policy. It's, it's just a continuation of the policy that's been going on for the last 500 years. Yes. It's no change. No change. <laughs> it may look like a change, you know. And when I reflect you now and I say why they was pushing this, I was wondering why America behind this um, uh, Ghana, back to Ghana, you know, back to. But it was that rainbow, uh, that, that um, alphabet agenda she has behind that. She, you know, that alphabet agenda is mixed into to, to, to that program too. I was even in South Africa with Malima. I was shocked to see him. You know, he joined that alphabet thing too. You know, so this 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 is just a further onslaught. But it just there's just just some observation. I don't know if maybe I'm wrong, you know, but um, you know, thanks, thank you for giving me this chance. Well, you know, listen, Brother Marcus, in order for them to uh, succeed with their agenda, they need people in those political offices that can keep funneling resources to America or American interests. Yes. Now, the only one that will benefit is uh, the people that they consider the leadership, the, uh, I'll use the term, uh, uh, the, the royalty or whoever, the, polit- the politician that's in charge, he'll benefit and maybe some of the people surrounding him. But the overwhelming mm-hmm. majority of the people will be poor. That's how they want it. They want to set up those class situations and class systems, strong class situations that they had here in the United States. They want to keep those things going. That's the core values that you heard Langley keep talking about. We stress core values. We stress core values. But that, that, that's not going to work, in, you know, because if you see the same thing happening, you know, we look at Liberia. That was what happened in Liberia. 
see, they went over there with that class mentality, you know. And a hundred years later, they had a civil war, you know. So if we, yeah, I see that developing in 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 Ghana, is that class, that 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 money class, you know, and you go in here with the mentality that you are better than these people here. It's going to cause a problem. Yes, yes. Going to cause a problem in the future. So you know we need to curve that. Because we have the example of Liberia, Liberia before, so let's not repeat the same thing. Anyway, thank you for allowing me to express my views. Thank you for your contribution. All right, Uh Richard. Yeah, I can't tell because um, I see that it was Otis on, so I don't know who. If they, if, I know she was on, but she left, so I don't. Let's go to six no. seven eight. Six seven eight. Six seven eight. What's your name? Where you calling from? Let's put them back on hold. Let's go to six four six. Six four six in New York City. Hey, brother Elliot. Um, yes. And the brothers, I um, was calling. My name is Raina. Oh no! I seen you. Excuse me, man. I seen your name before. Now I just see the. I see it's just a number. Okay, I thought you had left. Yeah, no, no, it's cool. Um, peace, love, and reparations. Um, power to the people always. Um, yeah. Um, caucasity and greed is an incurable disease. Um, whiteness has always been a white. Um, America America is always going to protect its own interests. It's always going to meddle in foreign affairs and practice self-interested geopolitics. Um, and, yeah, all of these hyper-capitalist systems were built on the oppression of black people. Um, I think, though the way we have been viewing Pan-Africanism might need like a little bit of a nudge or an update um, because in all of these places, right, where we are fighting whiteness, we are experiencing a different consequence of whiteness. Um, and we have to figure out how to most effectively um, battle whiteness where we are because it shows up differently in different places. Um, and as far as us here in America, like you started the show talking about Mississippi. Um, we know that we have tons of black communities. Eminent domain has always been a tool of our government. Like we have been under an act of genocide for over 400 years. So um, yeah, we're all at war. Everybody's at war. Um, but I think um, our war strategy um, has to insist that uh, we play chess with these white people. Like, I think they've been able, through their meddling and their moving of the goalposts, to kind of keep us on the checkerboard. Um, and it's really time for black people to start playing chess, which means... <laughs> ascertaining what is needed where they are, organizing, as you gentlemen 
started talking about earlier, right? Um, and figuring out, right, how to get on the board that they're on. Because other than that, we're just going to keep kind of spinning this stuff around. Um, we're going to keep spreading ourselves thin. We're going to keep worrying about things that we can't even affect because we can't affect the things that are right in front of us. Um, and Black American people, right, um, as essentially the the shoes upon which um, the American capitalist hegemony runs, right, um, have to figure out how to um, establish themselves um, within our government, set ourselves up as an ethnic group, um, recognize that the only way we can affect how um, our government functions is to actually recognize that we have the, the same inalienable rights of every other American. I kind of think um, it was interesting you guys played that clip of Malcolm X talking about, you know, the American Negro kind of being a political football, and that had to be in, like, 65, and essentially that hasn't changed, right? <laughs> yeah. We've been a, a game of three-card Monty with our government for hundreds of years. And so um, I just want to say that uh, we have to start doing politics the way everybody else does politics. I kind of think um, we've set up a situation because we've essentially become this moral compass that's like responsible for saving America from itself and responsible for holding it um, to account for the standards it's supposed to have. Um, but, but I think that's put us in a position to kind of like be in a, a real serious genocidal situation. Like, yes, things are happening in Africa, but like when the United Nations comes here and they tour parts of Mississippi, they say we've never seen this in the, in the first world. Right. So we really have to figure out how to prioritize and uh, organize what our needs are, where we are, so that we can strategize about how to um, brick by brick sort of like dismantle um, this chaos campaign that sort of keeps us chasing a goalpost that's ever moving. Um, with that being said, I just want to say um, that Black American people are actually an ethnic group. Um, we actually should be advocating, right, for or to establish ourselves as a plaintiff group because, like every other Black person on the planet, we, we are owed repair. Like, all of these systems were built on the robbery, the theft, the torture, um, and the subjugation of our people everywhere. And so we have to figure out how to kind of constitute that um, in a very right here, this is what we need, and so this is how we have to organize it kind of way. So that then we can figure out once we have gotten our repair in our respective spaces and figured out what that looks like, um, how we're going to utilize that to uplift um, blackness worldwide. 
Um, here in America, we have actually uh, been petitioning the OMB to be classified as our own ethnic group, um, to be identified um, as the plaintiff class um, owed reparations for um, slavery and the subsequent horrors um, that we have survived throughout its history, the robbery, all of the things that you guys talk about probably every week. And I really wish that this had been a show or the gentleman from the San Francisco task force had been here because I would have been interested to talk about, talk with him about like how they're going about that. Because this is like, this is going to require needle eye accuracy. Like we don't, we cannot, drop the ball. We can't um, go for the banana in the tailpipe. We can't look the other way. Um, We just can't miss this. So um, we are organizing right now, and there is a petition going on with the OMB for us to be established as an ethnic group um, because the OMB is the Office of Management and Budget. This is how... um, this is how resources are dispersed, right? And every group of people sort of has to establish themselves, has to uh, create an opportunity for um, their needs to be assessed accurately and all of those things in order to get what it is we have coming um, in America. So. I just want to encourage black people wherever you are to look around you and figure out how your needs show up where you are and figure out what your strategy has to be to battle um, wicked whiteness where you are, however it shows up Um, and start at home and work your way out. That's it. Um, We have a call to action. I think uh, April Showers will be, will be calling in and getting more information about that. But we really have to hold hands on this because we will never be able to influence our government, um, help any black people anywhere else until we help ourselves. It's kind of like a oxygen on the airplane situation. When the mask drops, you put yours on, and then you figure out how to help everyone around you. If if I can, um, this OMB petition, is it possible for you to kind of like lay out um, the parameters uh, again, you know, like it's going on now, how long it lasts, what what is required, or is it um, something else that has to be, um, you know, someone else has to communicate that? So, so showers will come in and fine-tune anything I say. I'm just going to say that uh, right now is the time like every 27 years where the OMB sort of opens itself up um, to get feedback from the people like who's here, um, what changes do we need to make and sort of to sort of like act uh, accurately or efficiently meet the needs of the people. How do we identify them? Um, And so this is literally happens every 27 years. We have 15 more days. Um, you can go on their website and make public comments. Um, we will be circulating uh, a survey 
to ask people how they want to be identified because not only do we want to sort of like delineate our, ourselves and establish ourselves um, in just the position to the government, but pretty much everybody else does. Like in this country, like flat whiteness and flat blackness has pretty much been kicking our ass. It's how like white people have managed to like make us think that we, we don't, we're not here for real or we don't count here. They have literally given whiteness, access to whiteness to a bunch of people that aren't even white. So what you're seeing is that Asian communities want to delineate. Um, Caribbean community, like people want to be seen and recognized for who they are, what their needs are, where they are. They want themselves to be counted. They want their needs to be accurately assessed. Um, they want accurate data on what is happening in their community. So you have the MENA group that is trying to, like, separate themselves from whiteness because, essentially, many North Africans and Middle Eastern people, like, anybody who ain't black is essentially white in America, except for Asians or Indians. And many of those groups are like, no, we are these people. We have these specific needs. We have this specific culture. We have um, this specific contribution to America, and we need to be recognized. So... Uh, being that that's happening for everyone else, first and foremost, it needs to happen for us. And we have to figure out, like, who we are. We have to stand up to our government and make them accurately count um, our wellness metrics, um, our wealth metrics. We have to actually calculate what what has been stolen from us. We actually have to calculate um the consequences of the accrued disadvantage that we had suffered um, through the American project and essentially the theft of our intellectual property, our land property, our, um, our work, our ingenuity, um, and our Americanness, because we're more American than most people probably, if you look at sweat equity, um, and what has been put into building America. And we really have to get around this notion um, that we should be operating in the parameters or the fringes. You know, um, and I want, if I, if I may, well, one, I, I think that this is something, Elliot, I, would, I, would, I think that is important kind of to expand in what Serena is raising as far as how this delineation and how this OMB, because there's a couple of things that goes through my mind, you know, um, and I think it's important, you know, to, for this action, for people who are interested to be able to um, follow up to identify where, you know, how they can get access to this petition. If they're interested, I see it says that it's, uh, is it uh, by the 12th? Is that the final closing date? Or is, you know... Uh, so so they, they moved it out to the 27th, so that's why we're doing... Um, another call to action. There are several different groups um, from our tribe um, that are sort of trying to collect data from all of us, like how do you want to be identified? Um, how do you want to establish or position your relationship with America? Like what do you want to call yourself? We have been called everything under the sun, <laughs> from Negro to colored uh, to black, to African-American. Um, we all have different origin stories. We are essentially 
an amalgamation, a newly created um, ethnic group um, forged in the fire of the American project. Um, but I think essentially we have assumed, right, that we are not entitled to Americanness. And I think the world assumes um, that because we have blue passports that we benefit from Americanness, but white has been a white. <laughs> it whites here, it whites there, it whites everywhere. And so if we're really going to tackle this thing, I think we have to figure out how to deconstruct it brick by brick. We have to literally look where we are, see how it's showing up, and see how we can strategize and affect um, an organized or synchronized rebuttal. Otherwise, we're just going to be sitting around commiserating about things we can't change for ourselves or anyone else. Well, one one reason I, I like to see this, you know, expanded and whatever, because one one I don't know if this is something that you brought up or um, that you you know characterize this plaintiff group because um, it sounds like class action. I like I like the characterization when we're talking about from the reparations perspective. Uh, um, but the the uh, but I think I'm asking this ties to the census and the census ties to the allocation of dollars. Right. And it also ties to the collection of data. Right. right. So wellness statistics, wealth statistics, um, all the statistics that the government collects to assess um, where a community is, um, what their experience is, uh, what their needs are, um, where the government sort of needs to um, or how the government needs to assess or reassess um, its relationship to them. And that's particularly important for us um, because we are, in fact, a plaintiff class, right? We have for 400 years been robbed of everything, including our Americanness, despite the fact that we have fought in every war on this land. Um, we have built most of the major institutions, um, five, six, seven, eight, and in some cases, nine, ten generations of our ancestors are buried here. Um, like, we really have to reexamine um how we are engaging our government in terms of our rights um, to redress in Americanness. That's it. I, I, I was um, looking at this um, just, and I don't know if I got it off of out of one of the rooms that y'all y'all host or 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 somewhere else. Um, recently where the, and I didn't know this when you talk about the office of management bu budget and Elliot, when we're talking about um, um, where black people are, I didn't know there was a Shalada young who is the acting director of the office of management and budget. And that Biden just um, proposed a $6 trillion budget, um, you know, which, it, which he wants to push. And this here proposal is the biggest budget in recent history reflecting the massive government spending plan 
Biden rolled out this spring and his push to bolster the middle class and make the United States more competitive with China. Um, his 1.5 trillion disc, uh, discretionary budget, which would increase funding for education, the IRS and the uh, Center for Disease Control and Prevention, among other things, uh, 2.3 trillion American Jobs Plan, uh, plan investing the infrastructure currently under the negotiation with the Congress, and the 1.8 trillion American Family Plan, which includes spending on universal preschool and two years. Um, of free community college. Uh, it says the White House proposal highlights the president's priorities, but the Congress has power of the person ultimately determines the government spending. But the point of, and, and uh, you know, I'll just, um, you know, hopefully, again, we can be able to come back and, and, and explore, um, get more clarity, or at least for myself, and hopefully um, those of us in the uh, Time for Awakening audience who, Need to, who may not know how, um, as you say, the data collecting works in relationship to being um, delineating um, how important that is to know exactly what is the state of our, our population, but also in relationship to what comes, the budget that comes down that is specific. And, I, and Elliot, you know, a lot of times we've interviewed um, the, um, the independent political parties and, and even when we go back to 72, one of the things that were, was placed on the agenda was proportional representation, meaning that the amount of money that will come to a, a population in a, in a district is based off of the population, you know, numerical number within that district. So if I'm, I'm you know, you might be correcting me, um, Sister Raina, this, this is a way by this here process being clear um, uh, by this delineation process, it, it, it provides clarity of actually who is entitled specifically um, to that. I don't know if I'm overstretching, stretching, or or making you know false equivalency, but that's the the elements that I see: the proportional representation, the you know getting control of budgetary monies that would come out of say things like this, and also that it's become specifically in organizing us in our own self-interest. So yes, that is part of it, right? But it's also again for the establishment as of us as an ethnic group and a plaintiff class, right? Because this isn't about racism or curing world hunger, hunger, right? This is about a justice claim, right? On behalf of a group of people um, against the American government, right? And there are a bunch of other little task forces kind of popping up and, and many cities and counties and states are like considering what their version is going to be of reparations. Um, but reparations, according to the world court has five pillars. Um, and essentially the, the fulfillment of all five pillars would constitute repair, but it's, it's clear and specific um, and in order to even quantify uh, what repair looks like, we kind of have to have accurate measurements of the consequences of our crude disadvantage, 
our denial of social safety nets, our denial of the GI Bill, um, our mass incarceration, our uh, me- the medical experimentation, the devaluing of our properties. Like, there are so many um, aspects of our life um, that have been destroyed, intentionally destroyed as a mechanism to make us, like, make our failure the gasoline that this capitalist juggernaut runs on, along with, you know, oppression of people everywhere, to your earlier point, right? But this, the the capacity for this country to do what it does essentially was made possible by the theft, the theft of the natives in terms of their land, but moreover, um, the theft, um, subjugation, torture um, of us. And we know who we are. <laughs> there are records, sister, good records sister, of we, us being who we are. Sister, let me and, let, can I ask you a question? When you say of us, who 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 is that us? I'm just curious. Because, I, listen, so, I agree with everything you've been saying. But when you say that us, because we know what has happened to our people. But when you say that us, and the people that did it know who who that us is. So when you say that us, yeah, who are you do. saying? They, they absolutely do, right? They, they absolutely do. But the point is, right? Yeah, but who is that we us? Have never, we have never established ourselves, right? As a clear and separate ethnic well, who, group but who is or that, painted uh, class. Who, who is that us? We have never done that. Just answer me that. Who is that us? We, we. So um, the the survivors of uh, the American slavery project. But who is that us? Like I, but you don't, sister, uh, you don't have to fish for an answer. Who is that us? Who is that us? Um, Come on, just I, tell I, me. I thought I was made, I, I, I was trying to make myself clear, sir. Um, I am speaking about groups identified on the 1850, 1860, or 1870 census. Okay. Not limited to, but including Negro, Mulatto, um, Negro, Mulatto, um, Black, Colored, um, Freedmen, the people who actually um, built the country for free through robbed labor and uh, were freed without anything, only to be tortured, et cetera, all the things I said. Like, we are a group of people that actually have a lineage attached to an experience that, uh, that America needs to see us about, but... We can't really quantify that if we don't identify who we are. If I can, for both of y'all, would the people who are identified in the 13th Amendment satisfy what you're saying, Sister Rayner, or what you're, um, what you're thinking, um, Elliot, you know, when you say, who is us? Um, yes. Is, is, is it, I mean, is that, you know, regardless of how people self-identify, but the group who were identified um, specifically, um, in exactly. The would that be exactly? Would Would you agree with that, Elliot? Um, What's that again? The people of the third that's defined in the Thirteenth Amendment. The Thirteenth Amendment was very specific of who 
was harmed by the enslavement project um, uh, economy. Uh, so, so, you know, um, would would is that is that broad enough and specific enough to uh, you know because people then self define there, you know, there, there are a lot of different things, but, and I think that's what I hear, Sister, Sister Rainer, that's what you're saying, but does the people of the 13th Amendment, are, does that make us distinguished compared to anybody else um, in, in this country? That's what I'm, I, I just want to make sure I'm, when I'm thinking, because that's what I'm holding on to, and I just want to make sure in this kind of discussion, am I all, still have to clarify my definition of who is us so so yes yes for sure um the 13th amendment was written for us followed by the 14th amendment um which sort of sought to kind of like rectify some holes that the 13th amendment left um and then the 15th yes we are that that group of people and uh let me ask you a question, Richard, because the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment was written by who? Uh, um, um, the um, Europeans, I mean. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right. We, we, mm-hmm. we, we didn't define anything in the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. It was written mm-hmm. for supposedly for us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, and the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment was written in, what, 1866 or something like that? 67, 65? Up to 70, 1870, okay. I but the the Thirteenth Amendment, and that's why I'm I'm holding on that, um, you know. And that's I mean, it may be broader, or not. But I'm, I'm you know, because that's an important for me. It's an important question. But you know, who is us um, to this here? Because um, people, you know, we it's a difference between I uh, to me how you are self identify, but who is the 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 the, the group, the population that was a part of the uh, slave society and society with slaves. Um, you know, that's a specific group of people when we're talking about plaintiff in my mind. And I, that's what I wanted to do. Correct, know, Richard. Correct. Yeah. So, but that, but that's why I think we need to have more discussion and clarity um, in that, you know, um, if, you know, at one point or another. But I hear that you're so, saying. So I, I think April is on the line, and she uh, may be, be able to add some context to this. I just wanted to call in and say thank you, brothers. I'm sad um, that we didn't get to have the San Francisco reparations discussion. I will definitely circle back whenever um, you guys are able to uh, bring that through because um, we really have to figure out how we are going to deal with what has been taken from us, wherever it's been taken from us. We really are going to have to remember that literally we built this country. We are some of the most American people anywhere, and we don't benefit anything from Americanness because Americanness was contingent on our robbery, suffering, torture, Etc. And the only way we are going to hold these people to account is if we actually figure out how to stop um, chasing the moving goalposts and get on the chessboard because we know how to play chess. Thank you. 
Thank you for your contribution, sister. Mm-hmm. I think she's gone. Yeah, I think she left. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go to 215. 215. <clears throat> good, good evening, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard. How y'all doing tonight? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Your first, first Brother Elliot, it was good hearing the Sister Rain and, and Brother Richard. Thank you for bringing her on tonight, too. It was a good, stimulating conversation that y'all had with Sister Rain and Brother Richard. It was good seeing you Friday night, my brother. You're looking good there, Brother Richard. Keep the good work, good brother. You're looking good, Richard. And, uh, also, so where, I where, say, where, where uh, you saw him at a party? You was at a party or something, Richard? Right. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm a street person. I'm, you know, I'm a, <laughs> you're a walking man. We we say try to we say how to turn Richard to a party man, huh? This is a party. Get his, get 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 his, get, his, get his party on, huh, brother Elliot? Go ahead. I, 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 I knew his best around, but yeah, it was definitely good seeing Brother Richard uh, the other day, Friday evening and stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, I don't know where to begin, Elliot, because you and Richard and, and Sister Randy, y'all done, like, and Brother Marcus, when he called, y'all do so many good things out there. But I guess I'll start with, 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 with some of the other stuff. I saved my spirituality at the at the last thing. You, and like, when you, I think you stated, Brother Elliot, that we are under attack as a people, and we have to get. And, and, and uh, Sister Randy, she's right. We see we have to get this thing straight when it comes to reparations. We definitely cannot drop the ball on this. But uh, so, like you said, we are under attack, and I'll, I'll get start with the with the. I guess you would say the least one on up to the more serious ones first with uh, the, the vice. A president, not the vice president, but the first lady, or the so-called first lady, Jill Biden, when she showed her white supremacist attitude by inviting the losing team. I know this may not register for a lot of our people that may not follow sports, but it was just the protocol how it was insulting for her to invite the losing team to the White House. And the tradition in the White House, whether it's, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, is that you always invite the winner team. You extend the invitation if they want to come, whether it's college whether it's pro, and it's, it's, it has it has been cases where even some high schools have been invited if they were like a dominant type high school in this sport, but never the loser, you know what I mean? Because that's the case, Elliot. I think Jalen Hurst should be getting an invitation soon, shouldn't he? Because they, they they lost to, to Kansas City, but Jalen Hurst played his heart out. I didn't see him get no invitation, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? So this this stuff, man, was was just typical white supremacy. She and she started and she kind of walked she. She walked it back after the so-called, you know, backlash. She started walking it back. But the fact that she even would do it just shows you the white supremacist attitude because we all know had that been the other way around, if the white girls team, Caitlin Clarkson, had beat uh, LSU like that and was so dominant, I don't think you would have heard Joe Biden get up and say, well, we're we going to invite uh, LSU because them, them girls, them uh, black girls play so hard, so we're going to invite them too. That wouldn't have happened. I think most of us are intelligent enough to know Elliot that wouldn't have happened, you know? But there you go. White supremacy again. And then, of course, Elliot, let's, let's go down to the state of Texas before I get to Tennessee. You got the racist governor down there, Abbott, who's a Trump uh, neophyte or, or wannabe. He said he can't wait to, the, to get to his desk. You know, that white army sergeant that shot the brother from Black Lives Matter. I, I don't even know, if, I can't even remember whether he killed the brother, and I can't even remember. But he shot this, but he was convicted of this heinous act. Well, um, Abbott said he can't wait till the bill get to his desk so he can, uh, so he could pardon this, this racist murder and this racist uh, uh, guy. He can't wait, wait till the bill get to his desk so he can pardon him. <laughs> so you see there in that case, of course, Tennessee, where the brothers was kicked out, you know, by, by their so-called white colleagues in the Tennessee State House. 
So you see case after case, and then like Brother Richard mentioned earlier about DeSantis and that stuff with the critical race theory and, 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 and attacking black history and everything. So we under attack all ways around, whether it's from the sports world, law enforcement, the political thing, we clearly under attack. But see, the sad part, Ellen Rich, is that it's our black leadership. They don't see the urgency of now. Either that's the problem. They, they don't see. We see it, and, and the average black man or woman see it, but, the, but our so-called black leadership don't see it. You know what I mean? They're not, they not, you know, rallying around our people like in a crisis, and, they, and we, and we, and we clearly are in the tech in so many ways from these white uh, mistreatments around the country. So I mean, but you know, they don't seem to get it. You know, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's clear. I mean, they, they they don't again. They don't seem to get it, man. We I mean, we clearly under attack in this country. I mean, you see, you see it all the way around. You get you got a president that can sit there, and again, you don't see nothing from these so-called black leadership on a federal level, which is, which is, I guess you'd say Biden's equal. When Biden can make a comment the other week about he want to see, he want to put money in the pockets of the average Ukrainian and stuff, and hear black folks running around here who voted for this dude, and, and, and our people living hand to foot and stuff, and yet, and yet none of these Negroes like Sharpton or Hakeem Jeffries even called them out on that. I'm like saying, dude, what about the people that you claim that you had, you had black people's back? You claim that black people was the reason why you got in there, but yet you ain't, you ain't never, you say you want to put no money in the average black person's pocket, but you want to put some in some white Ukrainian's pocket. I mean, you know, we just, we just continue to keep getting played over and over again, man. And, and again, no response from this weak ass leadership that we got in this country on the federal state and, and local level, especially on the federal level. Cause don't know what this Biden's equal. They federal like Biden is, but they don't say nothing. You know, they just let this, let this stuff just keep going on, man. While people continually catching it, you know, I mean, we just catching it all over America. You got our young black men and women out of control. Running around, running around here, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. That's not being addressed by our so-called congressional black caucus. And nobody, with all these so-called, think about this, Brother Elliot and Brother Richard, but all these so-called intelligent people that you have in this Congressional Black Caucus, these, some of these people got law degrees, some of them got degrees in various, you know, things, but none of them can, can sit there and see this and say to themselves that is it, so, is it something mental? Is it something in the water? Is it something reason why these young black men and women doing all these all these crazy things around this around the United States? It's, not, it's bad enough that they're committing the crimes, but the the way in which they commit these crimes, some of the heinous crimes they're committing, and some stuff they don't even have no rhyme or reason. And then you mean to tell me they they none of them pause to think that it could be something wrong with these are these all these, these young black men and women on on, on on drugs? Has it? And I we know the drugs that they take, and now they smoking this weed and stuff with this lace with all kind of uh, stuff, wet, uh, angel dust, uh, roach killer, uh, uh, you know, embalming floor. We all know that. But I'm just saying, none of them even addressing the fact that some of these young black men and women have have been on, have been put on drugs from the time they was in school. You know, all them different drugs they put out young people and Ritalin, Amaral, all that kind of stuff. None of them addressing that, thinking that it's a, it's a connection to that, 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 that when they go on from, stuff from the Amaral and the Ritalin on up to the crack cocaine and the, and the wet and all that stuff, they don't see no kind of connection there. I mean, again, I mean, <laughs> something wrong in this, like they say, Ellis, something wrong in writing in Denmark, and they can't see this thing, these things that, 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 that your youth... And young people around you are, are, are going down a, a, a path of, of destruction, and they're not addressing this. 
I mean, they're supposed to be the future. I mean, these young black people out here, you see out here across the United States, they're doing these crazy acts and stuff. They're the future. Yeah, they're shooting, I don't know if y'all heard about the shooting over there in the Christiana Mall yesterday, last night. I mean, crazy stuff going on, man. The brother get done down at, at Walnut and Locust uh, yesterday, down, downtown Philadelphia, right? You know, a, a, a stone stuff from City Hall. I mean, you see this stuff just happening over and over again down in Florida, you know, with the young boy killing people and artists. I mean, just, I mean, you name it, it's happening, you know, but and then, and yet our Congressional Black Caucus don't seem to think that, 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 that it's time to, to circle the wagons and, and cause some kind of emergency thing about what's going on addressing these things. But then again, like you said, it, they can't do nothing unless they are given permission to by their white handlers. That's the sad part. You know, and I know many of our people that want to put the Hakeem Jeffries and all these Negroes and Dwight Evans and all these people up on a pedestal. But the reality, like you said, brother, they don't do nothing independent of their white masses. And that's just the reality. They, none of them, none of, none, very few of them think like a, a, a Cynthia McKinney or Adam Clayton Powell, you know, people that, that was struck, you know, or, or on the state level, Dave Richardson, they don't think like that. You got very few that think like that. Because what Dave, when you played that clip last week, Ellie, what Dave Richardson said, I'm a black man first, I'm a state rep second. It's a shame, many of the other ones don't think like that, you know what I mean? And that's why people stay in this condition they stay in, because they don't think independent. They don't They don't think unless they get, unless they get commission from these people. Chuck Schumer pretty much running the show now. He's running that Democrat Party now, and them Negroes pretty much scared to death. They don't say nothing without Schumer's permission. Nancy Pelosi was the old boss in charge. Hakeem Jeffries got this so-called title, but he only got it in title and name. Oh, he ain't calling no shots. He ain't running nothing. You know, if it don't, if it don't pass Chuck Schumer's mustard, it don't get done. Cause they, now, since McKinney was in office, she was stand up to a Chuck Schumer. But these niggas that you got in there now, they are not. You know what I mean? They are not for the most part. You know? You might have one or two maybe got some backbone, you know, like Ayanna Pressy might say something, say something, but the rest of them Negroes ain't going to say nothing. You got the two Muslim sisters, they'll speak up. They got more heart, like Rashida Tlaib and, and, and Omar, Sister Omar from, from Minnesota, they'll say something, but the mother Negroes ain't going to, AOC might say some things, but the mother Negroes ain't going to say nothing. You know what I mean? They're going to go along to get along. And so there, there, there lies the rub right there. So there you go. It's clear, it's clear as day, you know. But I, I, I close with this, Ellen. When you played that clip by uh, Matt Gates and, and and that clown Langley, that was a disgrace, Ellen. I mean, this white bigot was grilling that Negro over and over again, and he's and he's still talking about some values. I'm like saying, what values are you talking about, dude? You know what I mean, like you say, you you equating our people with European values, man. Langley, man, he, Langley came off worse than, than Gates. Did. Gates was, like you said, he was doing what he was doing because he was, like, he has an old white bigot. He's trying to protect white people's taxpayers' money. He don't, he, you know, he, he don't want to go over there, especially if they're not going to keep their handkerchief head coon government in place. He don't want them over there. And like you said, like, every now and then you get brothers slip through the cracks. So them, so them guys that they was talking about, they was trained, and I guess the United States thought they were going to be their flunkies, but they flipped on the United States. So they straight. So when Langley was being grilled by Gates, Langley, you know, Langley got to keep a straight face. He got he 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 can't sit there and just say, well, look, I agree with you, Congressman. You know, these people did X, Y, and Z. He got to keep he got to stay to the strip that it's. You know, it's the core values of the United States and stuff like that. And, and Gates not and Gates wasn't trying to hurt Elliot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gates, Gates was not trying to hurt all that stuff. Gates said, "Look, man. Look, in other words, he was standing home, translated, nigga. I don't want these white folks' money 
going over here, they, and these niggas out of control. They not they not standing their place, and they over there overthrowing our our, our our puppet governments. We can't have that, nigga. And that's basically, that's basically what Gates was saying. You translate it, that's what Gates was saying without even saying it. That's basically what he was saying to this clown. And, and Langley, he 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 come across like a just a, a, a stooge, an idiot, and stuff, man. I mean, it was, it was embarrassing listening to this guy, man. You know what I mean? They're getting they're getting drilled by a white racist bigot, a Trump neo fight, a Trump wannabe. Like uh, like Matt Gates, man, who, who who by the way should be in jail, transporting women across state lines, even 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 across in, international countries and stuff. But of course, he'll never see a day in jail because he's a white because he got white boys' privilege powers. You know, even though he's nothing but an old pervert, he should be in jail. But he'll he'll continue to walk free, and nothing will happen to him. No more than anything will happen to Donald Trump with this fiasco that's going on now with the Stormy Daniels and and, and these so-called business dealers and stuff. Nothing will happen to me either again because it's white supremacy, white white power structure. So they're gonna protect their own. So for so all this stuff about black people getting all excited about Trump going to jail or this one going to jail, and nothing could be further from the truth. All black people doing is just setting themselves up for a big failure because not only is Donald Trump not going to jail, he he raising so much money because of it that, that, that he'll have enough money in the next few months to, 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 to make his run for the presidency next year. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke, man. Again, it's welcome to white America, man. But, Ali, thank you, man. I, I won't keep you on Richard no longer, man. Uh, put me on mute, and I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thank you for your contribution. Are you welcome? Uh, six seven eight, uh, six seven eight nine. Newport yeah, News. can you hear me, gentlemen? Yes, sir. Hey, look, you covered so much there. I want to ask you one thing. You said uh, talking about the Africans training in the U.S. and and uh, Langley was getting confused with the numbers. It was actually Gates that gave him the number. Uh, would you say more than 50? Then he said, yeah, it was around 50. But I want to say something to you. Uh, I think you misspoke when you say that uh, that's just 50,000 on the continent. The point I wanted to make is actually Africa is in about 50 of the 52 countries and territories there. So that 50,000 was just in that region. That's not even the ones. Remember when we got uh, Niger and a couple of other places when they, when they, uh, Special Forces got ambushed. See, this country is famous for changing the way they do things. And the reason I bring that up is see, they, they send uh, Special Forces to train, which means that they're not actually combat troops, you see, playing with the words. Now, I'm going to say something else. Uh, I've heard people talking about this reparations thing and how it's getting big. I, say, I gave you a link that I want you to check out because I think eventually you might do a program on it. I had this conversation about three years ago, and I actually had Darity interviewed by a guy and documented it. It's been three years ago since 2019. And what we talked about is a tweet that I put up, uh, put it up about four years ago, and people got mad when I said, the thing behind white supremacy is owns both sides of the argument. What did I mean? It will finance groups that appear to be Against their against the state, only to keep confusion going. Now I'm gonna see. I'm gonna make this point. Back, I called in this show one time and told you about actually working at a place called Lake Dallas when the savings and loan crisis was going on. The savings and loan crisis was behind the thing called the Keating Five. It was uh, Keating who was running the savings and loans. And John McCain and a couple other congressmen were all tied up in it. 
75 now. This is taking long. Mm-hmm. What came out of that crisis is that they were all land swapping with all these developments all over the country. Most of them end up being white boys in elite for threats. Even Neil Bush, the youngest Bush boy, was involved in it. So what ended up happening is a bunch of savings and loans went under. But along with investigating them, they found out that the banks, this is the first pre- large class action predatory lending against black people. What they found out is that black couples, even with high uh, credit scores, were given predatory loans. So what did they do after about two years of negotiation? The government decided to let the bank agree that they would extend $25,000 maximum to anybody that they'd done wrong and for a home improvement loan. Now, I happened to have just come off a back injury and started a company, so I was actually taking advantage of the people getting the $25,000 loans. But I would tell them, honestly, that you're crazy to take this loan from the government when you actually can go back to the credit union, get a personal loan, and get it cheaper. Now, they thought I was crazy for telling them this, but here's my point to you. Now, we come up, and what's the first state, I mean, first city, they gave reparations, supposedly. Reparations is the word they use. Evanston, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So as I keep on trying to find out, how did they put the financing together to come up with this $25,000 for any eligible citizen? Now, first thing they do is they tell you 12,000 black people are eligible in the city. But the first lottery they hold is 400 people registered that, that got in the program. And out of that lottery, 16 of them win a ticket. They can get $25,000 home improvement. What ends up happening? They put together the program so fast and so shouty, till 14 of the people own homes, and they applied and going to get their loans, supposedly. But two of them, brother and sister, are renters. And they say, no, we want cash. Now, the whole time they were pushing this thing, they told the people you couldn't get cash. Then after they messed it up two years later, after they holiday this reparation, they end up having to do what? Go back to the city council, and now they're going to give cash. So um, the point I'm trying to make to you is watch this. So I finally, after I put up the tweet saying, this is a scam. Why is it a scam? Because we relived this before. How in the world can you say that you're doing an equity project run through a bank where people don't actually get to hold the money, they become a pass-through entity, and the only people that win is the bank and the contractors. Now, people call me an idiot on Twitter. So then I had to go back to the history and pull it up to show them. But guess what? Fate works on your side. I go listen to a John Stewart interview. He got a little podcast. He brings on a guy who brings up the financial crisis and the savings and loan, and you know what he says? $25,000 loan to someone, the only people that win is the bank because they get to do what? Sell more debt to the Federal Reserve as they satisfy the $25,000 loans. Now, here's the interesting part I want to say to you. The people who claim that they did Evanston was IBW21, NARC, and Encoba. Cam Howard's got first repair. They got Robert Ruth Simmons and all of them. But I'm going to say this to you. I got, after I made that tweet a couple of weeks ago, I got invited to the reparations forum at Amherst up in UMass. Mm-hmm. 
So I listened to all the people. Then I asked them. I said, look, let me ask you something. There's a 70-year-old black man in Yorktown, Virginia. Let me ask you something. If a venture capitalist group called Liberation Ventures came onto that a Zoom that I was on a month before and said that they had worked over two years to co- coordinate the housing voucher in Evanston. Now, watch what I'm saying to you. I already knew that to have that program took a lot of work between the bank and the contractors. So here's what I'm going to say to you. The same $25,000 they gave in 1989 to about 1980, I mean, 1995 when the program rang, that same $25,000, what do you think that $25,000 is worth in Evanston where they just did the same number of $25,000? I'm going to tell you. An economist was on there with me. He said, I understand. He said, I don't even know you, but I understand this, Mr. Griffin. If they were being honest in Everston, those people would have been given somewhere between sixty and seventy thousand dollars. You you are you getting my point here? A lot of people are taking credit for supposedly doing good things under the name of reparations. But reparations has a definition, just like that young lady said. If you use the international rules, it's five forms of it. But by definition, reparations is repair. It is not giving you what you should get, quote, as an average citizen. Mm-hmm. It is for a harm yes. that is either has been committed or is an ongoing harm. Now, this is what I'm going to say to you. Everything that these people are doing, most of the people that I hear talking now about reparations, I've actually worked with some of them six or seven years, and they acted that they understood that you cannot allow reparations to become Anything someone thinks it ought to be, it has to meet certain criteria. I'm going to give you an idea. I got into it with uh, my girl that wrote the uh, mass incarceration because I told her. I said, you do it, what, what happens in America all the time. Each generation, you want to call the same thing something new. When it was Baldwin, it was Negro removed. Then it became enterprise zones. Then it became opportunity zones. Same damn thing, gentrification. What? In Negro removed. When you had slavery, you changed that to mass incarceration. When woke was supposed to be about being aware of what's going on and not running around with your eyes uh, closed, now all of a sudden it's demonized. You cannot allow this culture to do what it does. White supremacy owns both sides of the venture. Now, let me say this to you. This group, Liberation Ventures, literally said in their, in their page, you will watch how they even change words. When do you think using the phrase black face would be anything positive for black people? Let me answer the question for you. When you go to look at Liberation's page, they have a young black lady running their advertising. And you know a phrase that they use, they say, we are individual wealthy people, I'm paraphrasing, who are not going to wait for government. We're going to uh, empower Black-facing and mostly black-led organizations pushing for reparations. Now, the first year that they did it, it was 2022, they gave out $1.5 million. The second year, this year, 2023, they're going to give out uh, $2.5 million. I mean, billion. 
Well, no, two point five million. Let me get that right. Now, so now that's a conglomeration of them. But if you look at who supports them, it's about fifty different corporations. Now, those are the same corporations that also pledged money to BLM. Got ninety million dollars. They grew it, went into a pool and just evaporated. You see where I'm going with this? A lot of these groups out here letting people redefine reparations to be anything when, in fact, they are exactly what Sandy Darity called them when I got him interviewed three years ago. These are equity initiatives. These are things you should get as a citizen of this country. Adequate distribution of your local taxpayers' funds because that's how cities and municipalities work. They are not like the federal government. They can't create COVID money. You get where I'm going? The Federal Reserve is the only people that could do that. So our people are getting hoodwinked when they're coming up with all of this mess talk about get it because it's going to end up being detrimental to a national campaign. I'll stop with that, but you covered a lot of stuff. But I wanted to get this on record. I mean, these people that are claiming that they're advancing reparations are being tools of a system of capitalism that consumes everything. Hello, Otis. Thanks for your contribution. And I got that link there. Uh, once, you, you, once you do it, I want you to make sure you go, when you look into the article, there's a link in within the, the body of that article, and it goes to a thing that says our archive. And they have about six different things that of public statements they've made, and you'll see what I'm talking about when I talk about finance. They are financing everyone of the local reparations movements across this country, and they're all venture capitalists. Anybody that understands venture capitalists is the same people why you don't have a Kmart no more and a Toys R Us no more and a Sears and Roebuck no more. You get where I'm going? These people are not doing something for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I agree. I agree with what you said. And thanks for your contribution as always. Much love. Keep doing that work. I, I, look, I love this platform, and I wish more people would learn how to come on here and engage in some decent conversation because uh, when you talk about we, I heard a lady talk about we, there is no we when everybody thinks their opinion, no matter how ill-informed it is, should rank up there with facts. See, it's all right to have an opinion, but you got to make sure you get an informed opinion. Uh, we, we done got suckered on everything from justice Democrats that, that uh, with the squad, and you find out that they want nothing but a billion-dollar uh, financier that yes. gets people to actually be progressive and then find out they ain't about nothing because they don't care no weight. I'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to you later. Richard, yeah. did you see that link he put in the chat? Yeah, I just uh, opened it. Yeah. Okay, I didn't do it, but I got it. Good, uh, Richard. I don't, listen, I don't. Uh, um, I think she, um, this six seven. Let's, can you try her again, please? Uh, six seven eight. Hello, can you hear me finally? I hear you. Yes. All right, all right. Uh, Did go to you a couple times? I don't know what you was doing over there. I have to say. I'm not sure either because I was talking the last time before Raina came on, so I'm not sure what happened. Uh, but peace, power, and reparations uh, to all the people that are listening. Um, I wanted to say real quick to the last caller that there is a we, 
and that we is the black American descendant community. Um, and until we stand in we, we won't see any changes. That's literally how we have survived in this country for hundreds of years is by standing in we, standing in our lineage. Um, and so I just wanted to say that as well as Everson is not reparations. And we all know that. We also know that city and county and state reparations are all trick bags. We are absolutely aware of that as well. Federal is what we need. Federal is what we're demanding. However, we have organizations who were supposed to be working for us, working against us, because those are the organizations that are grifting and creating state and city and county task force. So that's very important as well to highlight is that the organizations that should be working for us are not. So, um, Reno has said you had, you had more information about this, the petition in relationship to the, um, um, I know I was just looking at it, the, the OMB petition. Can you just expand on it before, as we look to? Yeah. So the, the office of management, management and budget have taken proposals. So the, uh, the definition for what it means to be black American and African American is changing in this country. Um, currently, our definition says that it is for all racial groups that descend from Africa. We are removing that um, because that is a part of the problem, is that we are operating under race. We are operating under a flatness of blackness, right? Like Justin Jones, he is not black. He is a Filipino immigrant descendant. He is not of our lineage, and so he never could speak for us. Joe Biden is an Irish immigrant, the ones who came and were lynching us. He could never speak or fight for us ever. Kamala as well. None of these people are the we. They're not a part of our lineage. They're not a part of our people group. And that's really one of the, one of the biggest problems as why nothing is happening for us because we're operating under race. And we're the only ones defined as racial groups, all of this African descent. And that was by design as well. But the proposal to the Office of Management and Budget is to, one, change our definition, and we will operate under a people group, a peoplehood. I'll read the definition, and then I'll just briefly speak of the other two, and then I'll give where you can give public comment until April the 27th, because that's something that hasn't happened either, is that we have had an opportunity to give an input um, and let them know what and how we want to be defined in the country that our ancestors built. So the new definition um, that has been proposed is that it would be black. The category black American includes individuals who identify with any of the foundational populations in the United States of America, previously referred to as Negro, freedmen, black, colored, mulatto, or African-American prior to the 19th century, and also includes people and, people and groups that identified as free blacks, American freedmen, Gullah Geechee, American Negro, black American, African-American, American descendants of slavery, and foundational black Americans, etc. The other two boxes that will be made available is sub-Saharan uh, sub African, You'll be able to check that box, 
and they'll be able to put down that they are a Nigerian-American or a Guyanian-American. And then there will be a Caribbean-American box where they can check that and they can put that they are Haitian-American or Jamaican-American. So those are the changes that are happening at the federal level um, at the Office of Management and Budget. They have opened public comment. They had a town hall for three, had three days of town hall where they allowed us to call in um, and give and vocalize our public comment as well. Um, and that went very well. One, because we definitely, one thing that stood out is that we all have um, a personalized attachment to um, different identities. I personally, I identify as a black American Negro. It's what is on my birth certificate. It was on my mother's birth certificate, my grandmother's birth certificate. So that is what I resonate with. That may not resonate with someone else. So that's why we're going to include all of our identities so that it's not an issue, right? We're not changing anything. It's the same existing box, Black or African American. However, the origins are to the United States of America and not Africa. So they allowed us to give public comment. Um, I tried to find the chat on the website. I can't find it. Uh, so I can send it to you, Richard, so that you can place it, the, the direct link to that office so that you, people can put in their public comment as to um, that definition um, and how they would like to identify um, in this country that our ancestors built. Well, that's Excuse me. That's um, that's good, and I'll you know yeah send that to me, and I'll you know see if you can post it or whatever. Um, I think you know as I said before, um, Elliot, and, and that's to your discretion. I think this whole thing of because it's um, what I find it's two three things I'm gonna make. What I find is identity um, compared to what it, what to be classified is something that we it's a lot of struggle that goes on back and forth in personal things. One the thought comes the other thought comes to me as this process is going on um to what we started off talking about um on the ground organizing when I think about um Mason and I uh, forget the other town that um where they're talking about eminent domain Elliot um I'm wondering those people in those communities as this process is going on here, how much are they becoming informed about the this because it it's 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 important for all of us to be organizing in these efforts um, that deals with um, repair or reparations or even classification. So that gets into the on the ground or uh, organizing. And I hope that um, as this is going on, that we will see that we'll see more and more on the ground organizing towards these ends, which is towards the reparation and more on the ground or um, information exchange in relationship to what is reparations, why we are entitled to that, and what's and what I heard in the distinction. What is the difference between reparations and I forget what um um brother Otis said, you know, the the um the distinction. Yes, Sparta. You know, what is that those distinction? What why what why federal compared to is important compared to county states. So I, I think it's important that these efforts have um, people on the ground, um, whether they be virtual or actual, um, you know, but, uh, yes, yeah, excuse me, equity initiatives. But it's um, it's important that we be informed about that. So 
I just wanted to bring that up um, in this moment. But I, I, you know, thank you for for what the work that y'all are doing. That's important too, as far as when we're talking about organizing. Well, yeah, we are in touch with the brothers and sisters. They're in Sparta, Georgia. Uh, we are on the ground already across the country. Uh, we have, for the last few weeks, we have been out canvassing and petitioning. Um, and we're petitioning not just Black Americans, but also the Caribbean um, and even, you know, even the Africans, right? Because they want to be counted in America as well. Um, the, the, in New York, they just established that as well they everyone is delineating that's really what's happening and it's very important it's not even just for reparations right the omb when this window closes on april the 27th it won't be open again for 27 years Mm. my children will be you know people (laughs) that's a whole nother generation it's almost two generations And so it's very time sensitive um, in reference to what will happen to us politically moving forward. There's a reason why we don't have any um, any policies that are just for the descendant community, for the black American descendant community, because we operate under race and race based policies are are non-constitutional. So that's why we have nothing. And so until we actually can move as an ethnicity and a lineage in America, that our ancestors built, we won't see any any differences or changes because we're still operating under this white supremacist race construct. And that's a serious problem. And so that's one of the main initiatives on the ground is connecting people to their lineage, tracing their lineage, connecting them to what happened here in America. Because many of many people don't want us to actually actually address those issues. But when you do that, it actually connects you to the work and it connects you to where we are right now, live in history. And when it comes to reparations, there's five pillars. I'll just say them real brief because I don't think anybody mentioned it earlier, but it is an assurance of non-repetition, restitution and repatriation, compensation, satisfaction and rehabilitation. So there's five steps. It can never happen again. And it, it's it's a lot. It's 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 more than money. It's not it has not it's not just a check. And so again, Evanston was not a reparations at all. Um, and and they realized that they will not be able to rinse and repeat that. It's not going to work because we are aware now, and we do know the organizations that are working against us. And so it, it will always take the people. It has always been the people that have made the strides uh, for our people group throughout history and, and nothing will change now. We're just living it. So people need to decide what side of history they'll be on. Uh, sister, for, uh, before you go uh, uh, for listening audience that didn't catch it, what, what was those five things again? So it has to be an assurance of non-repetition, restitution and repractice repatriation, <laughs> compensation, satisfaction, and rehabilitation. Uh, one question. Repatriation mm-hmm. to repatri- repatri- <clears throat> excuse me, boy, I'm getting a little tongue tied. Repatri- repatriation to where? Oh, we're not re- we're, that's just a part of one of those things. Oh, I know that. Those but, are the five but, pillars. Yeah, but so re- our focus is restitution. But repatri- repatriation and- to where? To our land, America, actually having our own space, 
we we literally should have our own place in this country. We had they have stolen millions of acres of our land. They need to give it back. So you're a Native American. I'm a Black American descendant. Yeah, but when you say repatriation to where? I'm just curious. America. Again, our definition well, you don't need to be, is you're already to the origin. In, you're already in America. You don't, need, you don't need to be retraced. Oh, you, I need my land, though. I need my land, though. I need my land back. We had land. We had land right out of slavery. They stole it. Okay. Even when we were talking earlier, eminent domain. They're still trying to steal our land right in Sparta, Georgia. And we're working with them. We want our land back. They need to give us back what is ours. Because we had land. Millions of acres. I was, so, yeah. Sister, thank you for your work and uh, thank you for your contribution. Hello? This is awesome. Are we still there? Oh, okay. you, you talk to me. No, no, no. I, I just uh, I got silent. So um, we can just go from go from here. Yeah. So uh, I'll probably reach out to uh, Doctor Taylor. I, I know something that uh, something went on, but we'll we'll reschedule that for and uh, and uh, uh, Doctor Horn. Um, I think that's twenty third. Twenty third. Yeah. Be good. I'll make sure I put that on the calendar. Good. Uh, which is an interesting conversation. I went in a lot of different directions, but uh, it's always good to hear from the listening audience and to kind of uh, hone in on some of the things that we really need to focus in on as a people. Mm. Well, what I think the emphasis of what what are people are doing, black people, you know, are doing someplace else, and then what black people are doing here in order to make you know our conditions better is what I'm constantly always looking at. You know, so it's, yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's what it all boils down to. Uh, if you're not trying to hurt our people, if you're not against us, then you're for us. So, you know, <laughs> however we looking at this struggle, we know we're in a struggle. We know we have to work together in, in, a, in a great degree. So, you know, the more the merrier. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. I just saw the, the, the thing up there from uh, Umbrella Otis, the 23rd. Right. Before we leave tonight, just uh, uh, give the lineup on time for an awakening media. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. African Perspectives with Brother Oshi. Always interesting dialogue and topics on African Perspectives. That's 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Later on in the week on Thursday, Mississippi on the move, the Black Liberation Movement in Mississippi, Brother Patrick Lumumba as host. That's seven to eight on Thursday. Be interesting to see uh, uh, some of the things that have happened down in uh, Roland Fork, wasn't it, Richard? Yeah. And uh, the organizing efforts of, of a lot of the men and women down in Mississippi, all over the state. It's always interesting to have Brother uh, Patrick on to kind of talk about some of the things going on. Uh, the program is Thursdays, uh, seven to eight. Uh, Friday's Time for an Awakening is back from 8 until Saturday. The Elders of Sankofa with Dr. Janine James from 7 to 9 p.m. 
Well, thank everybody for listening to the program this evening. A lively discussion as always. And we'll be back on Friday, Lord willing, to continue on this path towards an awakening. Peace. Peace. If you're driving through the country on a lazy afternoon Or you're watching your children playing after school
Children. To save the children. To save the children.